Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut Drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks And come and listen in, we're measuring flicks Hello everyone, and welcome to a very special Measuring Flicks. I'm Carl Hartley. I'm Max Peterson, and we have two very, very special guests with us today. Um, first, we'll, we'll save the guest of honor for last, so first we have my wonderful, amazing wife, Bird, who uh, has a little... She's here for a reason today. It's not just like, Bird, we need a special guest, now get ye to the office! No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and also, we are once again joined in studio... By, and today I have to use your proper title because it is how you are credited in the in the film, sir. Uh, director Jeffrey T. Morgan. Jeff, welcome to the show again. Who who is this Jeffrey Morgan? <laughs> I do not know him. I disavow any knowledge of this man. And yes. uh, well, you look just like him. How, so how I how I missed that that accent that we heard throughout the entire episode last time. <laughs> um, so Jeff, you have very kindly and very gamely agreed to uh, to talk to talk us through and and discuss with us a little film from two thousand and six, uh, and it's called, ladies and gentlemen, today we are talking about two thousand a very special episode of Measuring Flicks. We're talking about two thousand sixes. Folklore, directed by Jeffrey T. Morgan, music by Mark P. Leonard, and my god, this is the longest cast list I've ever written down just because Bird knows so many of them. (laughs) Um, So starring Jordan, uh, and uh, Jeff, if I get any of these wrong, correct me, because some of these these names are, they seem Slavic. Um, So we have uh, Jordan Ewers, Audrey Lucero, Peter Bouchard, Benjamin Dawson, Lily Anna Thompson, Cindy Tomlinson, Andrew Tomlinson, Al Lean, some handsome fellow named Jeff Morgan. Is that what that is? Stacy Griffin. Baby Jeff Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> I know. 100 and, 160 lean pounds of fuck you up. Yeah. <laughs> That's my joke. I was saving. I had one happy thing to say later, which was look how skinny I was, and it's gone. It's it's all downhill. Oh, you, you, think it's, you think it's gone, but there's going to be a 10-minute section of just like, do you see the abs? And that tattoo that flashes a couple. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> um, also starring there, there is there is a testicle story though we'll get to it oh, oh, oh. oh this Carl I can already tell this was a good idea <laughs> um, also starring Stacy Griffith Matt Tomlinson Scott Mr. Gothels Jacob Tomlinson and Lisa Tomlinson um, all of the Tomlinson all of the Tomlinson's Tomlinson pretty much it's a grab bag of Tomlinson's today on measuring flicks all right, so Jeff, this was your this is your first feature length film, correct? Yeah. So take yep. take us back, man. Set set the scene. Take us back to two thousand six, sure. the Halcyon days of 06. Oh my gosh, we were so skinny back then. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is it's probably a pretty classic kind of scenario for filmmakers, but it's uh, I was living in L.A. from o two to o four. And, uh, you know, I was learning a lot of lessons, but learning a lot of kind of what not to do out there. Just like, you know, I was at an indie production company and, you know, they were doing all the wrong things and that was building up my hubris. And I was like, I need to make a movie now. And I with this part was right. I was like, I should move back to Michigan to make it because 
I have a lot more resources there and a lot more connections and friends and I can get this off the ground. And that part is true. Um, and I think that like just the locations in the movie uh, speaks to that point. But yeah, so I came back and I was like, I'm going to make a movie. And I'm like, I love the Hellboy comics and I love supernatural thrillers uh, and I'm a martial artist and I'm got friends who do this and I got this and I got this and about 20 more elements together mashed into this gigantic 50 gallon bag of whatever <laughs> tried to squeeze it into a tiny little pastry and that my analogy is about as successful as no, the movie you, is oh no but, you're, uh, you're laying right into oh, I, oh you have no idea uh, like it. hearing hearing Hellboy was like the missing piece because I can I could see mm-hmm. I could smell mm-hmm. all the ingredients that went into this delicious 2 hour and 28 minute stew of amazing, don't be a sh- was it dude, o- don't was make it that only face. I it, thought it was a three plus. <laughs> yeah, it felt. It feels like it. <laughs> there's. I, I I was half an hour in and said, "Holy shit!" There's two more hours left in my own note. <laughs> <It's over. laughs> I uh, I definitely my my my, men- my mentor Rich Brower, you know, very good friend of mine and whatever. The only feedback he's ever given me on this is like, "Wow, Jeff, you're ambitious." <laughs> that's that's honestly, I would actually call that praise because I felt the same way after watching this. Um, so I, the reason that I wanted to cover this movie, there's a couple reasons that I wanted to cover this movie. Is one, the story about how I saw this is so strange. Um, <laughs> I saw this movie like what in t- probably 2010. 10? I probably saw this movie in 2010 before I knew Carl, before there was measuring flicks, before before ever I knew that Jeffrey T. Morgan was a force to be reckoned with on this earth. Um, but I was I made a movie back when I was in college. I, I similar story to you, except I didn't have the the guts to go to L.A. I just stayed where I was, and I was you know spent 400 bucks and a lot of gas money and made it happen, but. Um, as I was doing it, Bird and I were engaged at that point. She's like, oh, I, I have a friend from back home who made a movie uh, and I have this copy of it. So she pulls out this signed copy of a movie called Folklore. I was wondering how you got a signed copy. I was like, <laughs> how the hell? We were there the night that you played it in town. Oh, my that's God. That's got so it. funny. That's awesome. <laughs> So uh, I'm we like, being my brother and I, not Max and I. Right. So actually, yeah. this story should go even further back before we get to me. Bird, how did you oh my God. come to see Folklore? Because you, I believe you know and or are neighbors with m- half of this cast. <laughs> the Tomlinsons. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> and Mr. Gothel. Yes, Mr. Gothel too. <laughs> Which automatically makes it half the cast. That's perfect. Right. <laughs> um, I didn't find out about this firsthand. I found out about it through my brother because he was closer friends with Matt than I was. They were a little closer in age and like all the boys in the neighborhood hung out. I hung out more with, you know, like the girls. Um, and Alan was like, my brother Alan was like, oh, dude, Matt's in this movie. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what? Fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> and immediately I was like, uh, yeah, uh, we need to like get involved with this somehow or like how do we like learn about this? How do we see the movie? And like, I was in 100% like from go. <laughs> you you almost could have retitled this film Murdering the Tomlinsons cuz <laughs> my god, yes. they drop like flies and they die more than once too. They do oh, like yes. double and triple duty as victims. It's amazing. <laughs> uh so I think I initially like reached out 
to you guys through like your message boards or something like hey do you guys need more extras like do you need any like whatever grips hands on people on on set or whatever um because I was doing stagecraft at the time at West High School oh and I was thinking I was going to go to college to be a set designer so this is like I was like dude this is perfect this is right where I want to be this would be like a perfect in and you guys had like already wrapped shooting and everything and I was like dang it oh well so we just went to like the premiere at the movie theater and kind of just went from there I guess and then fast forward to 2010 I popped this bad boy into my living room like all right well I'm a young upstart filmmaker let's see how they're doing it in the indies and we roll that bad boy (laughs) and I'm like and I'm watching it and you know it this movie to me reminds me of two other films one that we haven't talked about and one that we have this movie to me is like halfway between clerks and 2000s verses Oh my god, I have that fucking same note. Thank dude. you, dude. I'm so, <laughs> so glad. So many times that this movie reminded me of Versus. It's like it, incredibly so. Yeah. Totally. And I see you're looking it up, Jeff. If you haven't yeah. watched Versus, dude, you are going to love. Oh my <laughs> god, this does. This looks like my <laughs> Korean doppelgangers made this or something. Who is yeah. it? Yes. Basic, or Japanese. Yeah, yeah, basically, it's like the Japanese version of folklore with. With like more, actually, there's zombies in that movie too. Like it's there's more guns in their movie because yeah. they're, they're like no ancient weapons was their rule. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it was uh, the flip side of the coin. Yeah. yeah but uh, to be honest, man, like watching folklore as a as a young buck full of piss and vinegar, ready to shoot a flick, I was like, damn, man, like this for a, I. And you can tell that it's shot on a low budget. But what I was impressed by was how well it's shot and how good the I, I love the locations that you picked i thought that was a major strength yeah. this, was, this was part of the reason you even made marlin i was like yeah dude i've seen people make a movie before you can do it right i was planning on trying to sell the script but bird was like you could do this and then she showed well yeah yeah i think that's the the the, the best thing that i put out there in the universe is that if I can make that, literally anyone can make a movie. <laughs> like, that just goes to show it, there's no barrier to entry anymore. Right. And then so, yeah, so that that was actually an early an early inspiration for me that gave me some fire, you know. And now fast forward to 2017 when Carl and I start the show. He, Carl ended up working with you on a film project. And he was talking, I'm working with this guy, Jeff. He's so nice, man. Super cool. And he's doing film stuff. And Bird overheard the conversation. She was like, Jeff, like local, like he's a local who's a filmmaker. Is that Jeff Morgan? And Carl's like, yeah. And Bird's like, Max, that's the guy who made Folklore. And all the threads just came back together. And they are all woven into one. And here we sit to talk about Folklore, which I'm pretty stoked about, actually. (laughs) Uh, So let's, let's go around. And because yep. we we all watched this movie within like a couple days, right? Yeah. So let's just a just a brief brief. What did you think of this? You, we did you like it? Did Me, you hate it? I you know you know Max maybe just if I may because literally no one's seen this. Sure. Should we maybe <laughs> give them like the synopsis of it or like so they have a? I what think, do you think. Well, I mean, is I, there I, a trailer? Don't you usually drop a trailer in? There is. I was gonna just play oh, the. Oh my god! The trailer is somewhere. No, I was not. I was not. <laughs> 
If you allow us, we'll cut a trailer. Yeah, you do what you want, man. If I can find it. So what I'll what I'll do here in this little pause that we're about to have is you're about to hear a foul-mouthed fairy explain the rules, and then when we come back. Uh, Jeff will explain the context of those rules and give us a bit of an overview. So, listener, uh, enjoy the uh, the fairy laying the groundwork for the epic that is folklore. There's nothing more to do for her, pal. Uh, that's not even fucking loaded, you prick. You ain't got much time, so you've got to listen quick. Man who has your daughter, his name is Edmund Gregory. He plans to use your daughter in a sacrificial ritual at the next dead moon, when the moon is completely black. But that's not all. Your baby has been stolen. She is to be killed, but you are going to have a chance to save her, to balance it all out. You must chase after her. The location of the ritual has already been determined, so you'll know where they're headed but you can use no modern means of travel or weaponry. You are a pawn in an ancient fairy spell, an magic that has been nearly forgotten since no one believes. The incantations are very powerful, a weapon of magic with very few loopholes, so it's important you hear me. No modern weapons, no modern means of travel. Well, it's not as though I have any access to ancient weapons, let alone skill with them. They will shoot me if they see me. Not with a firearm, they won't. The power that Edmund Gregory is using requires that he abide by these rules. He is playing the game too. But in the end, you only need to worry about your part. Listen, you haven't heard the good news yet. You get a champion, a warrior companion to help you. Someone skilled in honorable weapons, as the rules of the spell put it. Someone whose skill is true and deep, and has surely seen many a battle, even in these times of bullets and electricity. You will find your champion in town. It's only a few miles away. There's a studio on the corner of Cypress Street and Thomas Avenue. You must find the one who lost their family last night. Looks like you're not alone. <clears throat> find him and convince him to help you. Hey, hang in there, Slick. We're almost done. You then must travel north out of town until you reach the river. Follow the river till it runs out into the bay. Follow the shore northeast till you see the island. It's hard to miss. That's where you'll find Gregory. What? Uh, what part do you play in all of this? Where did this Edmund Gregory come from? Is he the one who hurt my wife? What the fuck did he do to her? What kind of fucked up game is this? Why did I take my girl? Listen, bub, I don't make the rules. Maybe Gregory picked you at random. Maybe you were investigating something he was doing. Who knows? Point is, you have to get going. You have seven days, no modern weapons or vehicles. You may be able to overtake Gregory before he gets there if you really hurry. That's all you need to worry about. Do you accept these rules? Yes, of course I do, Sprite. But after this is over, I will be coming after you. Oh, I don't think you'll be seeing me again, friend. And remember, magic is based on will. Only through your will can you succeed. Only by focusing your- I've already said too much. Remember my words, go down with the plague. So, Jeff, give us give I, us the context. I do not know who this Jeff was or who. <laughs> How do you was keep getting the in the voices? studio? I, no, I can't see you leaving or coming in. It's so weird. 
So, oh, you know, you know, real quick, like, because I'll forget to mention it later. The gentleman who played the fairy, the body of the Hedges? fairy. Hedges? Hedges, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just like this, you know, ever-present kind of gentleman on the scenes of for musical and theater and movies and stuff. And, yeah, like, what a, what a unique and wonderful guy. And um, something went wrong with the audio from it, and so that's my voice. But, uh, yeah, that's him. Half suspended from the ceiling in his boxers at like 65 years old, just like, yeah, with you know, the highest quality after effects making him look like a fair. Oh my oh, god, oh no, uh, I anyway. love the wings, I, I love them. I have so many nice things to say about the visual effects in this movie. I'm not even joking uh-huh. with you, dude. Uh-huh. I, I love it. I love and Carl, I think Carl and I have similar notes on it, but before we, before we dig into the nitty gritty. Give us the and if you if there's more to the hedges story, hit us with that. But then give us just a, a brief sort of synopsis in the director's own words. Sure, sure. So this is a um, it's called folklore for a reason, and the concept of the universe is that like, what if all the myths and legends and stuff were real, but because people didn't believe them anymore, they had kind of shrank down and receded back into the dark corners of our society or into the, you know, deep dark woods where they're just, you know, barely hanging on to their existence, but they're still there. So our story follows a paranormal investigator who gets called into a crime scene. And at first he doesn't think anything weird's going on here, but then he finds out that it is. And after some extremely well handled and, and, you know, intricately detailed writing and acting uh he he, uh his daughter gets kidnapped and he's put on this quest where he has to go and save her um as part of this ritual where he can't use uh you know modern weapons or means of travel and it's basically like D&D meets the Hellboy comic books meets you know I don't know man just like some guy who's 24 Two, 24 years old trying to make a movie and you know with all of his buddies that's oh and i guess i guess martial arts there's like maybe like 15 percent of the fight scenes are actually pretty good and then the rest uh, of it no they're great i but... gotta say pretty great actually yeah I, i'm gonna say 15 is a is a just egregious <clears throat> low ball i'm gonna give you 78 percent of those fight scenes wow the, i'll dude, take it dude the choreography for real like there's a couple of Sonny Corleone moments where where punches are flying three feet from faces and <laughs> yeah. stuff, but th- that's that's pretty few and far between. The yeah. um the, the choreography is, is exceptional. Badass. Like that's oh dude between uh, between Audrey the final, and Ch- yeah yeah the vampire the and final the boss okay. fight yeah that it's was like, sweet okay. dude. Some of those uh, that when the when they first come in contact with those like low grade druid henchmen. And We're gonna kill you, bitch. Yeah, they're like, listen, bitch, quit bitching around and get your bitch, bitch up here. You know, like that bit. Like, yeah. but <laughs> one, of, one of my notes literally just says "bitch." Yeah. <laughs> but dude, those um, those honestly, the the baseball bat hits to the face. I yeah. cringed, man. I'm like, holy oh, shit, yeah. Jeff fucked up and killed a guy on accident yeah. on set. <laughs> the, those looked great. I, honestly, the the angles, the angles on on fight choreography is so crucial, and it's so poorly done in in indies. Typically, this one I thought was actually a fairly strong example of like indie, like a like indie fight choreography. It looked great, and, and the sound has a lot to do with it too, man. The the choice for like the you were not doing the Hollywood thwacks like the yeah it's right very like heavy and meaty and the sound of metal hitting like bone and flesh is like really visceral and De- like oh fuck he just killed a dude uh, that achilles yeah. 
Oh, go ahead. The the, the fight scenes kind of, yeah, like I was watching today, I was like, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Whoa, that was cool. Oh, man, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Juxtaposition. Yeah, the Achilles, the Achilles one well, I, is Ugh. one of the few things I'm pretty proud of. Oh, That'll probably make a comeback someday. Yeah, dude, those the sound effects on that Achilles. Not not to mention, we'll get into just the psychological impact of her choice to do that was amazing. Like that was a pretty for for a movie that is. You think you know what's going on. You think you know the tenor that it's setting. You know, like what we're in for. That's such a brutal right turn that it sort of re. It redefines like what level of violence you can expect in this, and it kind of raises the stakes for me. Mm-hmm. And I, the the sound design of those Achilles tendons getting slashed was so visceral, and I loved the the your choice to not show that because you could have done you know the, you could have figured out a way to do the crappy effect, but just that that like meaty kind of you can almost hear it break. I know, man, it's really yeah. gross. And then yeah. the impassive face of of Jordan of Jordan Edwards as he's watching that you know he's he's just Mm -hmm. looking looking on like okay maybe i can trust this person i feel like i feel like i should out people as we go through them so like (laughs) lieutenant colonel jordan ewers currently Uh, working in uh washington mm dc at the white house as a military intelligence officer holy shit well see this yeah yeah so if he ever runs for president i am definitely getting a pardon (laughs) with this blackmail material yeah, you know, you'll be in cuffs in the back and you'll be like, call this you have number. Copies, you, have copies, <laughs> yeah. you have copies hidden across the country in safes. Right, you'll yeah. call your lawyer and yeah. you'll be like, send packet A. And he'll get in the mail. Order 66. Matt, send the signed copy. Go, go, go. <laughs> you'll be out 36 hours later. <laughs> um, Yeah, so there's another aspect of this that I really loved, and I wanted to get—I wanted to ask you about this right up top because we have—we have um, between the three of us a lot of experience talking about the occult and about magic and about rituals and things like that. We did super deep dives on Midsummer, Hereditary, and movies like that. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, You seem to know what you're fucking doing here a little bit. Like a lot of this rings very true. There's some great details in here. that and bird caught them. Bird caught almost all of them as we were going through, which I love. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. do you have a background in that, or is this just a, a you know, take? Us yeah, through that. I mean, sure, sure. That's a that's a really cool thing to catch because um, I, I I made a joke in my notes that says, imagine if like I had read one less book on the occult or on detective work and instead read a screenwriting book, how different <laughs> the movie could have been. Um, the uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it was something that I've just always been really fascinated with, not only uh, the occult, but just religions in general. I'm a huge, um, just just so much interest in everything from like Native American myths and legends and, you know, uh, spirituality and the, the popular religions and the unpopular re- religions around the world. And I read, I mean, one of the main things I read for the Druids was a firsthand account from Julius Caesar, but not the Julius Caesar, ah, uh, Julius Caesar, who went to, uh, to, um, to, to the Celts and like lived with them and traveled with them for a while. And he was describing their culture and their rituals and their, their, their way of life. And, um, and, and, uh, yeah, it, that's just been a huge thing. And I, I read a ton of books on that, a ton of books on Native American legends and, and stuff, which is super fun. Like if you're ever looking for like, a, not not trashy is not the right word. It, first, they're they're for something a little raunchy, a little naughty. I mean, you want to learn about 
the demon in the woods with teeth in her vagina and how the guy has to punch him out to have sex with her and he's the hero of the story and you're like, what the hell did I just read? <laughs> Start reading about Coyote and, you know, all of the Native American legends there. But yeah, man, like it's been a, that was a super, it's been a, su- um, obviously a, um, something that's just, I've been so interested in, in my whole life and definitely wanted to squeeze every ounce of it into this that I could. So much of it ends up on screen, um, in, mm-hmm. in really cool ways. I, I like that you brought up, um, the sort of brutal nature of, of, uh, mythology. When, when you brought up Coyote, the first thing I think of is the, their, um, I can't remember that. What's the the name for myths of cre- the creation myths? What are they called? Do you remember? That sounds fine to me. Creation myths. So I love the story of Blood <laughs> Clot Boy, where they literally. Oh my god, that's the thing that popped into my head too. Yeah. So they in in Native American some Native American mythologies, the first man started as a blood clot that was kicked along through the dust, and the mixing of blood and dust and the animation of being moved formed the first man. Wow, yeah, that's but, cool. But it's kind of, but it's also kind of got that sort of like really visceral, mm-hmm. gross mm-hmm. out kind of. There's like a nasty, rough edge to it that feels really appropriate to to th- this world that we're all living in, you know. So, I love how much of that showed up, and I love how you sort of like scratch mix together mytho- different mythologies, and you include the story of Sleeping Bear Dunes in there, and but you also yep. have, which I thought was cool. I definitely liked seeing that pop up. Um, and then you've got the uh, what's the symbol on the wrist? The the tris, triskelion. Yeah, the tris, mm. the triskelion yeah. on the wrist, and your paranormal investigator character dropping knowledge right up top, where he's like, <laughs> yeah. "This doesn't mean anything unless you're trying to impregnate the room with the you know with the mount yeah. you know the mountain Satan blah blah blah." And he's saying, <laughs> "But um, I love the detective character's ticks of like, okay, got to do this job right." This doesn't match that. Let me smell these candles. These candles are all wrong. And you can you can see him checking stuff that normal viewers would never notice. And these right. are the same kinds of details that Carl and I and Bird raved about in Midsummer and mm-hmm. Hereditary and in the we didn't haven't talked about it, but we've all seen The Witch and that sort mm-hmm. of like attention to detail and really knowing your shit adds a level of realism. Uh, Carl, what was it? You were saying um, this movie reminded you kind of of like those Mill Creek box sets. Well, this is what, yeah. So I was trying to to wrap my head around whether or not I was actually enjoying this movie because of the movie (laughs) or because I know Jeff. It's it's hard to to like make that separation. Like you're excited to watch something that your, your, your friend has made. Right. right? Of course. So I I had, I I tried to, to compare this to other movies of its ilk that I enjoy. And this flick totally reminds me of like movie three disc D on pick your Mill Creek box set. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Like some of them are total garbage, but I would watch this between like uh, all the pretty girls and fucking um, the man who fell to earth and shit like that. So it's like, I, th- I think you're describing our distribution model, which was like, hey, there are some shitty movies out there. Right. Certainly <laughs> someone's going to give us five dollars for this. Yeah, but this has a this has a lot more going on. Most of those are throwaway and they're 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 so bad that they're good. Kind of they're good for a romp and a laugh. Yeah, yeah. There is there is so much to explore in this. Like the broad strokes are so fucking engaging and interesting that I spent most of my afternoon today like reformatting this in my brain as a six part mini series to <laughs> yeah, pitch to Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like Yeah. Yeah. I to he... actually be able to take the time to like episode one 
is the father and it's you figuring out how he does his paranormal thing and what the rules are and like really pacing it because you do have so much here and it is two and a half hours isn't enough yeah strangely enough i totally agree it's got (laughs) there there is so much there's so you can tell that this universe has a lot of depth and then again that knowledge that you brought to it adds like you know there's stuff going on that we're not privy to this feels pretty fully realized but because it's so vast that you know you can't pack it into a movie mm-hmm. but it's it would this to me kind of as you were saying that carl it has like the scope of true detective if you tried to jam true detective into two and a half hours but yeah. um it was created very earnestly and that comes through and it, yeah. you can tell that it's got heart yes very much so but attention and care was was placed into it and that yeah so what, you don't get you don't get incredible shots and and fight scenes if you don't give a shit. Really, yeah, so totally. Like you can you can tell that like attention was given to this for sure. But one of the other things that I love about this, I love that you said uh, like movie three disc D, right? So <laughs> yeah, th- this to me is like you're watching through you're watching through like a, an old Mill Creek collection and you you watch you've just seen say like uh, the indestructible man with Lon Chaney Jr. and you're like. Boy, that was that was pretty dog shit. Then this one rolls, and you're like, "Oh, well, this is there's yeah, there's something in this." And then the next the next movie's Carnival of Souls, and you're like, "Holy shit, a hidden gem!" This is somewhere in between like hidden gem masterpiece and total garbage <laughs> like right, Long right. Chaney Jr. flick. You know, it's like it lives in that oh. in the, no, but it lives so deliciously in that space bird uh, one of my favorite movies is uh i eat your skin i you know oh, what i mean like God. that is in no way a criticism i watch a lot of stuff um no i i know what you mean because like like i was watching it today and like to kind of like set my anxiety and everything to the side <laughs> i literally wrote to myself said and i said jeff just pretend it's a student film that you're seeing for the first time what would you say to about it and whatever and those are the like my notes took a turn towards that and there is definitely something there, like um, the not the color correction, but the cinematography is not bad. The mm-hmm. um, the lighting is fine. The music is amazing. The music yes. is amazingly yes. good. Incredibly yeah, good. yeah. There are points and, where uh, I like adore and the so color much grade. different stuff, and like, and it is ambitious, and like you can see why. And and I you know I, I have a pitch for you guys too. I'm curious what you think of it, but um. I, I think that there's a lot of lessons to be learned from watching a movie like this, such as like, you know, for first time filmmakers to be like, all right, you know, be earnest, you know, go for write what you know, all that stuff. Don't over explain things. <laughs> Trust your audience to be a little bit smarter. Mm-hmm. You don't need a voiceover and a narrator and a fairy creature, you know, <laughs> and all this stuff. But um, what I'm, I'm thinking about releasing it in like as a just just as it is, just cut it into 15 minute chunks and release it on YouTube as like my first movie and like talk over it or, or, or like have the clip and then you can watch it again. But with me saying like, here are all the lessons I think you should mm. learn from that, you know, because <laughs> I think school. I think I would have benefited from that in my 20s if I could have had that kind of raw honesty from a filmmaker. Well, the version I have has a commentary track oh, on it. So what? Yeah. So like I can I can say from personal experience, there is a lot of benefit to seeing this as a young filmmaker for sure. Um, dude, I that, I think that would be an amazing. I'm completely in support. Um, <laughs> it, how can we help? <laughs> like, let's definitely yeah, well, do hey. that. 
yeah, let's talk about yeah, it'd be fun because I think that there's va- I do think that there's value in that. It would be fun to do. Maybe yeah, let's talk about it more more off the air because I think that um getting it out there and and it's a little therapeutic, but now that I finally sat down and watched it for the first time in 10,000 years, you know, I've gotten broken the seal and <laughs> right. you know, uh yeah, it's it's interesting. It's was interesting. it better or was it better or worse than you had anticipated? Oh, that's a great question. Um it was longer than I remembered. <laughs> and, uh and I knew it was long. Um yeah, you know, it, I was surprised how much I could still just recite it with the movie. Because obviously having edited it and whatever, I was like, I haven't seen it. And God, Okay, so before, so my son's 14. It was well before. I mean, God, I mean, I haven't seen it in 16, 17 years. Wow. Is that possible? God, it's 2020. How's that possible? Anyway, I don't know, man. But I, I haven't seen it. Since, since like right basically when it came out and like so much of it did come back to me there were a few surprises um i'll say that the really overly um stylized flashbacks actually were more effective than i remembered the kind of trying to like give the characters backstories the visions kind of stuff not the right. quality of them per se but like the you know i don't know the the emotion of them mm-hmm. um I the, the the yeah yeah what was I that loved, i loved the flashback that we get uh like morgan's backstory i was like what uh like a little on the edge of teary like oh this is very sweet i have never seen i was looking at it i was like somebody said took green sleeves filipino martial arts and army dad and put it together i was like <laughs> Who did this? And I was like, oh, my God, that was me. I did that. It like, works, though. It did. S- seriously. And, and not not just uh, Filipino martial arts, green sleeves, and army dad, but also POV camera work of yeah. Filipino martial arts. Getting to watch. Yeah. Like, one oh, of my yeah. favorite moments is watching her work with, I, I didn't get a good glimpse of it, but watching her work the, the boken and yeah. following the, the lines of cutting with the, the hands coming up. I just watched Black Christmas because it's December, and one of the things that always blows my mind about Black Christmas, because it's 1971, 72, 74, 1974, is at the beginning, we get Billy the Killer climbing up a trellis in POV, but they're shooting with, like, giant Ari Alexa, you know, film cameras, and I never figured out how they did that shot, and even with digital cameras like you're working with here, I'm assuming... That's the one, probably. Yeah. That... No. No. So this is so like so it's released in 2006, but like it was shot somewhere between 2004, 2005, somewhere in there. So this was right before the XL1 came out. This is right before the XLH1 or JVC had a camera too. Anyway, this camera is a studio camera, and what that means is that this camera is meant to be put on a permanent tripod with wheels on it in a studio environment and never moved. So it's a box with a gigantic lens on it that we then had to ghetto rig all together to make it holdable, and it ran off of it had no batteries. It had to run off of wall power or generators the whole time. Holy oh my and, god! And it it didn't record internally. It ran H uh, SDI over to a MacBook computer, like desktop that had to be that. So we were hiking through the woods, like sometimes two or three miles, multiple trips carrying huge totes with generators and everything. And I'd be like, like the shots at night in the house during the attack, I was actually going, holy shit, I can't believe I ran up the stairs with that shit on my shoulder. Like, (laughs) but, um, but I also remember being like, all right, Ben, the vampire guy who also was the computer technician who also hit record for every shot. (laughs) Roll camera. Ben, 
Ben. Oh, oh, sorry, I fell asleep. Wake up, oh we're God. making a movie. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and stuff, but uh, yeah, it was um, yeah, yeah. I there is I I you know, it, were I looking at somebody else's movie, like, and I I spend a lot of time. I work at um, I've taught, I teach film to kids. I've worked at Interlock and Arts Academy in various different ways over the years, and it's so much fun and. That is so creatively inspiring. And there's a lot like, I mean, their stuff is much more polished, but like I always respond to the stuff that's very ambitious. And when they're like going for things and they're not playing it safe, obviously there are times when you should, or you should have somebody in the room who says to you, that's, you mm. know, that fairy effect looks like shit. <laughs> you know? But, uh, <laughs> but like, you know, I, I always appreciate somebody who goes for it. Cause if you never go for it, you know what I mean? Right. It's just going to be, It'll be what not box C but box D. Right, yeah. Right. Appendices four. Disc disc twenty of the, you know yeah. doesn't even have a fucking label on it. No. Yeah. Right. It's one of those where you're trying to like it's got side A and side B and you're yep. like trying to read by looking through a light at it. <laughs> yeah. and you're like, what the fuck? Oh, this one, folklore, that's the one. Yeah, there um, it is. But dude, you really did swing for the fences and hearing what you had to go through. Like, like carrying this giant ass camera, like knowing sometimes context is everything. And that for me just improved this film in a way. And it, it explains some of the interesting. Okay. So there's, there's a couple shots in here where you're like walking through the woods or we have mm -hmm. a character on a beach and the camera looks I for, I could never tell if you were shooting on sticks or if you were shooting shoulder mounted because sometimes the camera has a little bit of left, right wiggle. Yeah. Yes. It was on a um, not a steady cam. What was it? The glide cam. It was on. So I a long time ago, I worked for a local uh, videographer, filmmaker, Glenn Peterson, who in the area. And uh, yeah. And so he had uh, a glide cam that he had never taken out of the box. It sat in the back. I was like, can I borrow this? And he's like, sure. And so I was trying to like figure out I've never used one before. I literally had like like. Uh, dumbbell weights trying to be, like duct taped to the bottom of the thing trying to make it balanced and like like two by fours like there were two by fours on this and like a bright orange extension cord that would electrocute me when I knelt in water and like all this stuff <laughs> and, uh, and and like like yeah so like there I remembered um I remembered watching it this time I remembered some some of the stuff would be like yeah it would wiggle sometimes it would it was still canted in the final edit. Sometimes it wasn't. And I remember having punched in and fixed that in post, but yeah, so it lived mostly there. I will say too. And I, I, I think I said this on the last episode that I was on where like primarily outside of my own projects, you know, I get hired as a DP and editor and, um, looking back at it, I can still see why. Cause like, you know, even in college people were like, wow, your handheld work is really cool. You know, you're, you're going for something here and, and stuff. And yeah, the, I, I humbly will say that I can at least, you know, be proud of that, that I see the DNA in, um, and it's kind of funny because I, I am in the mood to like make everything very negative. So I also say, well, I haven't gotten that much better than have I, but, <laughs> but, but it's, uh, but it's, it's definitely, yeah, it's, it's, it's in there. And I think, I think 99% of it was glide cam. So kind of like pseudo handheld. Mm -hmm. I did have the wherewithal to understand, especially in that time still, like, like there was 
shaky cam is a little bit accepted now, but there was no acceptance of it then. I mean, everybody's used to 70-pound film cameras. Paul so Greengrass I, I, can eat my shit. I yes. cannot stand shaky cam. Right, and it can't have those micro uh, tremors that come from hand-holding like a DSLR, like complete, like, like, and so it needed to have, it needed, the camera needed to feel a little heavy. And so, um, so I was like, well, what better way than to tie it to a 40-pound, you know, Mac Pro and drag it through the woods <laughs> jesus so i'm uh, the things that are uh, fly, flying through my head right now is one of the things that bird and i were trying to figure out is but sometimes from from shot to shot it looked almost like the like the resolution was changing and that explains why because if you're punching in to correct can't oh sure, sure yeah. yeah yeah so you're pulling in a little bit and it's changing the the it's creating the it's you're losing some sharpness and then the next shot will be like perfectly sharp i was wondering if it was a frame rate thing but that explains that yeah no it was so yeah that's a great question though because this was before and non-linear editors could natively handle 24 bit or sorry 24 frames per second so this was shot with a pull down but it was done properly like the camera could put out 24 frames per second. The Blackmagic capture card would take that in and put it into a 2997 file. This is very nerdy talk, but I do remember this. And Final Cut Pro could handle it that way. And um, yeah, there's, there's, I mean, I, I, I'd have to watch it again. And some of it today, I, you know, when I was rewatching, I was watching like through my fingers, so I might have missed a couple. But there's, there are, there's a handful of shots that are out of focus, especially like when I'm in it and somebody else is running the camera. You know, like, like it gets bumped and it's not perfectly sharp but yeah i think that that's very sharp for you guys to catch that and it is also being compressed i'll still say there has not been a better I'm hot take right now there has not been a better video codec than mpeg2 on a dvd it always improves whatever you're encoding <laughs> even though it's taking it down from hd to sd and stuff like that and, and definitely adds a layer of weird color space and stuff but um here come the yeah, emails man. <laughs> here, here yeah, come yeah. the nerdy emails we, have, we haven't even posted the episode yet right. the inbox is already <laughs> set my phone is blowing up sense. right now yeah how dare he they gloss the green grass comment and like, <laughs> yeah. they're like well yeah okay shaky cam can kind of wait what the fuck did he just say about mpeg 2 <laughs> um <laughs> so the, another thing that pops into my head hearing how you are like just MacGyvering as much as possible to make this work for you. I'm thought I, I think in two directions. One, the DIY ethic of punk music. Like early distortion. There's no distortion pedals. So they're cutting their speakers to get that blatting aggressive sound. And that's why nothing sounds like early punk. Is because now you're doing it with effects. You're doing it the the film equivalent would be like shooting practical or what can we do with final cut pro 10 now or oh i just got i have the colorista suite but you had to do it with 40 pound dumbbells getting electrocuted in bottles of water yeah. and that's why i think this has a really distinct f flavor to it you know and it's some of that and then the other thing i was wondering especially with the deteriorating um outfit of our paranormal investigator by the end it's barely clothing Okay, can I just say? Yeah, sorry, jump in. Yeah, no. One of my favorite tropes in any movie of any genre is a character whose clothes start pristine and slowly just deteriorate and fall apart. Over like Die Hard is a great example of that. Yeah. But like Indiana I, Jones, most, Indiana Jones. Some of the most fun I had in this movie was just like clocking his suit, like <laughs> just so I was burning it, and like the uh, and you know from a uh, from a uh, um, the, the um, what do you call it continuity. 
continuity. My yeah. God, my brain just totally shut down. But no, you're good. But yeah, it's a pretty pretty damn good on that. Like, I well, that's. That's because we had one outfit. One jacket. We, shot, yeah. we shot the entire movie in chronological order. Oh my well, we god! Did, we did, oh we my did, god! We did two sections. We did. Um, we did. I can't remember which one was first right now, but we did father's story all the way through to completion, and then we did the bad guy story all the way through. But like you know, with the meetup kind of happening, it must have been at the end. And like the whole, not relevant to continuity, but like, and that was me being like. You know, oh, I got to, you know, for the actor's sake, it'll be so much more better. It's probably because I had no fucking idea how to keep track of continuity. <laughs> but uh, but like, you know, it was the whole story would probably take place in a, I don't know, 25 miles like from A to Z. But we shot it all around the Grand Traverse area. We mm-hmm. went to and up in the UP. We were in Marquette, Calumet, <laughs> Houghton, Hancock, the mines. We were everywhere like uh-huh. like and no I no stone was too far away for like a cool location and um man like that that was you know like again that's something we definitely wrung every drop of value out of was any sort of location we could get but we were yeah man I, and right. lesson, lesson number two for you young aspiring filmmakers besides just give up and find a better job is uh <laughs> no i'm kidding i'm kidding don't give up just make shorts on YouTube until someone tells you you're good. Um, but uh, that's actually is, pretty good advice, listener. Yeah, yeah. But my my other thing was like, don't be afraid to ask people. Like, dude, we we walked in. There's one shot. Um, I, it's got to be in the climax where they run by a. Um, it's an old carriage, like a wagon wheel yes. in the dark yeah. and whatever. That stuff was in a museum in the UP for mining stuff. And it was in a hundred year old um, officer's quarters that nobody was let in anymore. But we just showed up one day and we're, I think the guy's name was Pete. I'm remembering now. And we're talking to Pete and we're these 22 year old. My hair was that long, you know, down the middle of my back. I'm like, look like just the hippiest Gorgeous. guy. I'm like, I just got you from LA and I'm going to save the world with my movie. And this guy just like <laughs> never smiled, never did anything. Just listened to me for like two hours. And I was like, so Pete, what can we do? Can we kind of like, you know, use your super expensive vintage stuff for nothing? What do you think? And he's like, sounds fun. And I'm like, Oh my God. And it was over <laughs> and over again like that. I think out of, let's say the 25, you know, kind of crazy asks we made in this, Maybe we had one or two no's. So many people, especially outside of Los Angeles, like are just excited to help out on movies. They mm-hmm. think it's cool. And it's and like, you know, and I feel I'm like, oh, I'm asking all these favors and I feel bad. But there uh, if I have to be honest, there isn't a single person besides the musician who I fired before I hired Mark Leonard, who did not have a great time on this and didn't love it and didn't doesn't remember it as a you know really positive mm-hmm. experience you know, spending eight hours out in the sun with doing a fight scene or, you know, <laughs> having me stand over them in a loincloth with no underwear on, you know, or whatever. It may be. That um, sounds wonderful. I, yeah. I mean, that sign me up. Really familiar. What, how do you feel about a sequel? A little team up sequel. No, but, um, but that was one of the, so you were shooting in, in the Houghton area, like Houghton, Calumet. That's where I grew up. And nice. one of the, so you said you were shooting this in 0405. Yeah, I was still there. It's awesome. So I'm like, so you guys are, you were, were probably like the intimidating long haired dudes from LA that I was like, you know, I gotta get them. Oh shit. And go to the other <laughs> side of the street. They've got cameras. Oh, it's a snuff film or something. 
Um, but I, meanwhile, I, the actual reality is that I'm like, oh man, you know, now, like this is the 15th day I've given them peanut butter and jelly. Oh look, Whoppers are on sale, two for four dollars. I'm gonna give them a treat today. <laughs> <laughs> um, this the sequence where you're you pass some old. Uh, there's some really cool like old mine, like you were, and the the, the characters even comment on it. Oh yeah, it's yeah. A, abandoned mines. They they dot this countryside. I recognize those mines. Those were like two miles behind my house where I grew up. Awesome. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I'm looking at them. I'm like, holy shit. And um, there's the, what else do we have? We have Wilson's, Wilson's Antiques pops oh up God, in Traverse that City. Oh, my God. That was so yep. funny. That's super yep. cool. There's, um, there's so many cemeteries from, there's a the cemetery that we use where um, I think it's, he does the summoning spell where he brings the wife <laughs> back. Spoiler alert for every <laughs> single person who's never seen this movie. Right. Um, but uh, <laughs> like, like, like that, like we visited, like, I mean, dude, we put in so much work on location stuff and like, yeah, that was a cemetery that was kept up by volunteer, by the boy scouts or the girl scouts, one of the, of the, whatever that area was. And we literally said, Hey, we're coming back in a month to make a movie. Can you guys not trim it? And they're like, sure, whatever. We'll just completely leave these graves to fall under derelict growth of whatever. <laughs> so you can make your dude, big Hollywood so movie. Cool, but yeah, man, Incredible. like, like, yeah, there's so many cool locations up there and I maybe this is a thing of mine too I've made this comment on the last episode I was on where we were talking about um Swiss Army Man and like again even even when they're just going through like they 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 went they clearly went out of their way to find the coolest pipe over the river you know location or this nice like area for him to build the whole um bus on you know the 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 bus set and recreation and they really you know even this movie that's like him about him being lost in the woods they still found interesting locations and ravines and stuff and i do think like especially when you're making something for cheap I mean, the set's one of your characters, you know, just yeah. like the music is and just like the sound quality. <laughs> is. <laughs> and uh, yeah, anyway, but yeah, yeah, it was awesome. It's so awesome up there. The UP, like I went to college, I went to college in, at NMU and got my degree there in Marquette. Mm. And um, and like for about a hot second, I was like, oh, I'm going to live here and make a living. And I was like, there's no work here. I can't yeah. possibly like sustain a life here. Um, and so, but I love it, like, as far as location goes. And, and like, you know, when you're making a movie, like, an eight-hour drive to have, like, a great location, you know, isn't as big of a deal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. The, I, the, the location scouting on this, again, like we said at the beginning, is just impeccable. It's even when there's stuff, because, Jeff, I don't know if you know this, but there are moments of this that look a little goofy sometimes. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> When those pop up, like you're gonna have to be more specific. <laughs> so it's like it's so at about the 15 minute mark until about the two out. No, I'm kidding. But uh, <laughs> but no, like uh, even if something is like a touch out of focus, or here and there, if a character is talking a little too much or whatever, you know, where the the writing is unripe Bad. or whatever you want to say, yeah, a little a little puffy. If you have a really fucking cool thing in the background, or if the characters are in an amazing location, climbing the Dead River Falls to sneak up on people, right. like come on, you, you totally don't yeah, care. You so cool. You, I was viewer, watching that. I was like, that was cool. I don't even remember that. Like that was one of the ones that snuck up on me. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, my note is, oh she's really gonna climb those rocks. I hope they had insurance. Yeah, like reflecting back, I w- I remember like on the set too. I was like, all right, I need you to climb that and she's like 
how do I get over there? I'm like, swim through the you know dangerous torrential waterfall, <laughs> climb up on the side of it, scale the wet rocks that uh, you know that you've never even looked at before, and I'll have Jordan, the lead actor, face away from camera so you can hopefully not tell it's him, <laughs> and you're gonna go. <laughs> oh my god. It's all coming back, guys. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, our plan is 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 working. It is. I'm over here just wringing my hands like, yes, Jewel, yes. his brain is Come spinning Come to the back dark up. side. Yes. Um, speaking of Jordan, one of the things that I really loved, I, I really like many many aspects of his performance and I wanted to find out how much of that was him and how much of that is your input because early on when he's at that ritualistic that crime scene with the dead body yeah. tucking in the tie biting the the wrist of his glove um, him smelling the candles Bird pointed out when he pulls his gloves off he pulls them inside out and dates them yeah. like there, there's so much minute attention to detail in, in his that character's performance that I really love is that stuff that he brought in. I know you mentioned earlier yeah. you've done a lot of research on like detection and things like that. No, so. I I did, but man, I'll tell you, like like Jordan, and and I and you get it in different scenes from different people. Like like they stand out as the sorry. So I'm talking about moments where they're being very raw and very emotive and really just being brave. Like and and they and all the actors pretty much have a few moments throughout the movie where they do that. And in context, they kind of stand out as maybe awkward, but out of context, you're like, holy shit. You know, when Audrey jumps in the river and is mm-hmm. strips naked and is washing herself like, like very little direction there. Uh, you know, like it was in the script, you know, jumps in the water, strips naked, washes blood off of her, has a breakdown. And that's what she did. And I'm like, take one. I'm like, yeah, that's good, man. You know, go for it. So something with Jordan, Jordan's dad was, is a, was a military, uh, state police officer. Jordan was a military police officer. Or at the time he was, he was active duty military police in Korea and came back for, you know, took his, um, you know, downtime his uh leave yeah, to come yeah. and do this for me for nothing and literally live in my backyard in a tent and um you know to, just yeah because he and and he's he looks at me he's like he's like jeff we're doing 16 pages tomorrow and it's all dialogue for me is this normal do no actors normally have to memorize this much in a day i'm like yeah that's normal soap <laughs> opera actors <laughs> oh my god like poor guy and like um he really did but i you know jordan is one of those guys he's so fastidious and i mean that in the nicest way like like so i know that the gloves being pulled off and dated that was me um but uh you know like so much of it him him just like okay uh, here's the here's the of the big reveal that's really going to happen during this episode is that not if there's one thing to credit for this movie it's dungeons and dragons it is the idea of role playing and getting into character and trying to find the reality of it in the little moments and like that's the background of like everybody working on this or starring in it and so really i think like somebody like jordan who had you know, basically no acting experience, obviously, and stuff like that. But like, he was willing to just go for it because he's my friend and he trusted me. And he's like, "What, what, what would we do in this situation? What would we go for?" And, and, um, you know, I we we would get what we needed done, and then I'd be like, "All right, man, just like go through the scene, like poke at things, prod at things, just do whatever's natural." And like you guys said, I love those moments too. I I loved the wafting. I stood out to me too. I was like, "Man, I don't know who made that choice, but that's great," you know. And um, tucking the tie in. I believe that came from a book I read called The Dollhouse Murders, which is um have you got have you ever heard of it? Dollhouse Murders? 
it's a it's a textbook that a that a that a gentleman uses to teach crime scene investigation. And in his classes, he uses dollhouses and he sets up crime scenes and has people look at them. And so for his book, he took pictures of the dollhouses and then he would write out the story as though it was a real narrative, like Detective John shows up and blah 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 blah. Mm. And here's what he sees. And like that's where I got a lot of that informative stuff. And not every one can be solved. Some of the stories are like. No, there was no way to know who did it. Nine months later, the DNA popped positive on an unrelated crime and blah, blah, blah. But um, a lot of it. Yeah. Anyway, so so what I'm trying to say here, trying to be educational is like it really was a lot about just sitting down and talking about it and kind of, you know, bullshitting on what the characters would do and feel, which I guess saying out loud seems kind of obvious. But like when you don't know shit about making movies, really, like, you know, then you're like, you know, you're just with your friends, like leaning on each other, trying to find moments of truth. I think that 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 comes out in the in the film, though. You know what I mean? Because it's we've seen bad acting in many movies before or stilted acting or just performances that are flat and just uninteresting. And they're just, there is something that comes through in the performance, even from someone that hasn't acted before and maybe doesn't have the most Shakespearean background to give you the most meaty performance. But there's a truth and honesty that comes out in his performance, in his arc. And, and it, it makes sense that you say you shot this in order because I was wondering that because his performance gets progressively more um professional i don't know it 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 improves over the course Mm -hmm. of of the film where at first i was like oh okay this might be his first thing but his his character and 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 him as an actor is he's on a on a journey and by the end he's he's not where he started right as Mm -hmm. as as an actor at all it's completely different performance happening there so I felt cool. that way about a lot of a lot of the different performances. You can you can almost and now that I it makes more sense now that I know that you shot this chronologically, but you can see people feeling into the character as mm-hmm. as it goes along. And I think some like mannerisms emerge and like real personality comes out of some of these characters. By the time he's chained to the ground screaming for his wife to come back, he's completely in it. Yeah. Oh, dude. That's, that's that's the moment where he is no longer an actor trying to make a performance happen. Yeah, yeah. He he is father. That Prometheus yeah, he, scene is so rocking. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. Yeah, he's he's so, I you know he would be now method. You know, with method without knowing what method was, and when he um kills his wife on this on the hill, I was like, all right, you know, how do we want to do this? What do you want to handle it? And he's like, that was like a moment. Again, if somebody watches this, they're not gonna, they're going to be like, "Why is Jeff talking about this like this great opus?" But like for him, the like the journey you're talking about, he's like, he's like, he's like, "I've got an idea. I don't want to talk about it. Just shoot me wide." And I so I just sat there and shot him wide, and he just did that tearing his shirt apart thing and the screaming and the whatever. And I, and I was like, "Well, I'm glad that was awesome because I don't have another shirt, you know." But <laughs> <laughs> but um. Yeah, there was. They really did kind of come into their own and get more comfortable as it went on. And, uh, you know, I think, too, like, you know, probably it's always harder to know what's what what's a director versus what's the script or the writer or whatever. In this case, it's all, it's all me. But like, um you know, you can definitely see I like I probably became a lot less precious about 
squeezing every little bit of word into the dialogue where, you know, okay, you've got to make references to this and this and this and try and, you know, so I can act like I'm smart. And it got a little bit more real. And I think mm-hmm. that as it went on, Jordan was definitely more willing to push back on things and mm-hmm. and say, like, I, what if I just say this or what if I just say that? You know, what if I, ma- heaven forbid, make a joke <laughs> in this completely not funny movie? And I'm like, oh, that's an interesting I, idea. I, I love that. I love that bit of story, the through line of of the actor and the characters going on a journey it's just so cool i want to watch this movie again (laughs) (laughs) who who hurt you carl who hurt you his name was jeffrey morgan uh there's a uh there's a is for trauma (laughs) yeah jeffrey trauma morgan that's how we're gonna introduce you from now on i mean i don't know man how about jeffrey trauma morgan i mean (laughs) i i will say like like Jeff now, if Jeff now made this, like it, it is kind of funny because you were you were talking about the arc and I didn't really notice it, the quality kind of getting better or maybe more relaxed as it went on. But I was going like there was part of me that was like, man, if I had turned around and immediately reshot this, it would be ten like like that summer. Like we just turned around and just said we're doing it all again. Like it would have been a lot better because you can see the growth. You can see the learning happening. And um, I also I think that if I made it today, I probably would be a lot more one of my um, questions, yeah. a lot more evil dead about it because like if it was just a little mm. bit more self-aware, if it was like a little because like it's so serious, like or it's mm-hmm. trying to be it's funny from the outside, but internally it's trying to be so serious. And it's like, um, you know, man, if if like. Yeah, if the people had just been allowed to react a little bit more naturally to like, wait, what is this? this you, like, like, what is this fairy? Like, you're the what is this monster <laughs> floating in front of me? You look like a sunspot on a solar flare. I don't know. You switched votes or something. It's just like the most <laughs> weird, out of the blue thing. And anyway, like, is yeah, the, the the Barney Predator. The what? The, the, the Barney what? Predator is what like the 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 ghost. Oh yes! Oh the purple yes. the purple. Okay, oh, the shade. The purple dim. Yeah. The, yeah. The, yeah. What's the god's Kernanos. Kernanos. Yeah, the horn of god. Um. So I had a question about the visual effects because did you do did you do all of this in Final Cut Pro? Are is are these composite shots that we're seeing? Yeah. Here? Yeah. In After Effects and Final Cut Pro. Yeah. Yeah, dude. For for what you were working with at this time in like digital filmmaking history, honestly, these do not look that bad. Um, and especially the uh, the backstory for the the vampire character uh, Ben's yeah, character. Yeah, that's fucking sweet, dude. That you, I, I I think you did exactly the right thing by pushing it. Like you're shooting. I'm pretty sure the castles are miniatures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yep. It was built by Tobias Dawson, who made all the weapons and armor and props and stuff. And he made that castle. I still have it. <laughs> right Dude, there. Yep. That's fucking awesome. Um, so, like shooting oh, miniatures and using real swords, real armor. And then with the visual effects where basically everything we're seeing on screen has some kind of filter on it or the saturation is being pushed to the max and we're seeing through walls and there's there's such a psychedelic feverish dreamlike quality to that sequence that so perfectly fits this like bent twisted vampiric character i thought that even as wild as that looks on screen it was the exact right choice for that character that for me that was a moment in this movie that shines from like a complete and total filmmaking standpoint you nailed all of it man like it it feels so right for that flashback for that character 
you know, and that's it's, nested right in the middle of that, just before we get the final boss fight. So it's yeah. like this super cool moment of flashback and backstory right before. Uh, I love that. Actually, his moment of, of heroism when he's like, Who, how do I beat him? He's like, I don't know. Let me go ask him. I was like, that <laughs> just became a fucking badass. It's such dude. a John McClane like, line, dude. Like, it is. It is. Like I, I saw that. Blood I was out. Like, I was like, who's this badass in my movie? Where'd he come from? Like, but I love that because he gets that moment. He's been such a fucking wet noodle the whole time and trying so hard. But we have our warrior. He doesn't need to be strong because she is a fucking badass. When he has that moment after that, it's just the perfect. Like there was one moment of holy shit. That's really cool. Oh, my God. He just spit blood out and said, let me go ask him. And now she's going to go fucking toe to toe with his vampire dude. It was like stack upon stack upon stack of oh shit holy fuck moments right where i was just like okay Dude, the, here the, we are that, <laughs> this is like that this little, is our, our showdown that little chunk of the climax is like strong yeah. as hell because the fight is killer the flashback yeah. is killer um mm-hmm. and actually you mentioned hellboy comics being one of your big influences i don't know what year that movie hellboy came out but that's basically a Probably. Is it 2004? So that's Number. that's a line in Hellboy when the he they're fighting that first monster outside the museum and he gets that weird thing stuck on his arm. Oh and, yeah, mm-hmm. and Agent Myers looks over and he goes, "What the hell is that thing?" And Hellboy goes, "Oh crap!" And he, or he pulls it off and throws it over and he goes, "Let me go ask." And that's yeah. how yeah. we get to the boss fight. And seeing that here, I didn't remember that until just now, but. Yeah, I and and it's hard to know because I know that this movie was definitely kind of a a counterpoint to the Hellboy movie because I liked the Hellboy comics because they were like he's always by himself in the middle of nowhere in these rundown you know ten uh, uh, ruins like seeing right. monsters that are barely clinging onto life and then the movie of course is like we're gotta save the world from Armageddon and whatever turned it into a superhero movie yeah 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 and and I always love the smaller stories I think in a, another influence I'm remembering is um and it's really just like one moment but I think it's the original Silent Hill game. Where, like, you know, the the dad and the daughter are driving through the woods and they get in a car accident and he wakes up and the daughter's gone and he's got to go find her in this, like, not even post-apocalyptic, but, like, this upside-down demon hell world. And, like, the first monster he fights... He like grabs a, like a random crowbar or something. He's got his knees together. He's swinging like he's never hit anything in his life before, but he's a dad trying to save yeah. his kid and he has no place being a hero. And I loved that so much, you know, like, um, and kind of like the thing that encapsulates all this back to the flashbacks as a, as an example is it's, it's the, the, whoever that random guy was that tried to make folklore, he just, he tried to do too much. But like with, cause within the flashbacks, each one actually theory is, it's supposed to have a different look. So the Native American culturally appropriated Native American <laughs> one is like a, a, a rock wall behind, like, like kind of like a cave painting esque kind of feel. And then the vampire is supposed to be more painterly, trying to get like a, like an oil painting come to life. And, um, uh, there's all these other ones where it becomes too much is that when the father has his flashback, it doesn't have a look because it's not playing on that trope. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes confusing because they're like, okay, wait, where's the look on this one? But, um, but you know, again, like the idea of at least trying to go for something and, you know, squeeze everything in there in the kitchen sink. But Yeah, well, the, your, the bones of this are really strong, though. So speaking of... <laughs> Speaking of moments of humor, 
and 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 improvisation on the parts of your actors. I had a question about the wheel gun living room massacre at the beginning of this flick. <laughs> yeah. Was that okay? We have a very intentional cock shot, which I always love in movies, and I want to uh, know shoots him right in the nuts. directly in the dick. Oh yeah. <laughs> It's like first three is you know we're killing yep, all, we're head, we're head, head. half the Tomlinson family's yeah. dead in one go, but yeah, yeah. so we, we we gun three down and then you know Ben turns around and starts coming towards us with that fucking amazing yeah. armored mask that that mask is so distinctive it looks awesome that costume is amazing yeah, that's that's Tobias Dawson and and Ben himself he's a he's an amazing metalsmith. Uh, so I know you're going to a point, but it's just these things come back to me and okay. I, I got to remember like, but Ben, as a friend, Ben right now makes a living making swords. But on the day of the finale, we were, we were going in there to do the, the tracheotomy scene where he has to cut his daughter's throat and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, I don't have a fucking knife. I don't have a scalpel or anything. He's like, Oh, I have this piece of copper wire. Give me 15 minutes. And he made hammered out with like a piece of hammer on a, on a log that articulate twisted scalpel thing that was actually sharp. Like in and just you know like the, yeah the movie's so full of all these things where we take something from Goodwill's bargain bin and turn it into like a ritualistic cairn or something but Dude. yeah man um I'm sorry you were but you were talking about oh yeah and Tobias Dawson the masks and the swords the and the yeah well, I was, yeah I mean you had a beautiful eloquent point I just wanted to know if Jordan intentional yeah if he because he shoots yeah. him twice in the chest and then he like he knows he's got one left so he like stances up and gets that barrel like yep. right on his on his dick and shoots him in the and. But yeah. what I what I one of the things I love about that moment is even though it's hilarious, no one treats it as such. Now, in a movie like Evil Dead, if you went the Evil Dead route, right, there'd right. be, you know, you'd play that for laughs. Like they would like, you know, Jordan would look at him and then he'd he'd look, you know, Ben would look oh, down right. yeah, and yeah, look yeah. back up and then like go shrug. after him. But He's it, only capable of shooting people in the nuts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it it is so so earnest that it almost yeah. lands more for me. Um, mm-hmm. Was Evil Dead a big influence on this? Because some of your film techniques sound similar to it, what they were doing. It must have been. I, I'll definitely say, like, if um, the book Rebel Without a Crew, which is Robert Rodriguez's book about, yeah, making <laughs> it's the, on it's my so shelf right good. there. I have bought and given as get that book like ten times now as a gift because it's so inspiring. And for people who haven't read it, it's just. Robert Rodriguez's journal entries from making his first movie, uh, El Mariachi. Mariachi, all the way. Th- Winning Sundance, getting bought by Paramount, getting paid two hundred thousand dollars to re-edit his sixteen thousand dollar movie. Six thousand. Live- Six thousand. Thank you. Six thousand dollar movie. Live, but sleeping on a cot in the edit room so he could use the 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 money that he was supposed to get for his um lodging to put his brothers through college. Like all these. So like that's that that book was like that. Fuck. Maybe I can do this kind of mm-hmm. book. And then the Evil Dead stuff is just like uh. I, you know, that's probably a large influence on the just fucking go for it, right? Like, yeah. like how am I going to show this? I don't know, man. Let's just go for it. Like, when in doubt, run with the camera, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> it'll work. Drill and, a camera uh, on a two-by-four. and <laughs> yeah, right, right. I think I think what's amazing and maybe something undervalued about the Evil Dead-type movies is, like, they, they have very competent actors in completely ridiculous situations and like, have, you know, that kind of I, self-aware is the right word, but it's not like uh, it's not. But it's not like a wink at the audience. Isn't this weird? Right. It's like, hey, we know this is fucked up, so we're just going to go for it. And you're going to go. It's kind of like when you watch WWE or something else, like right. mm-hmm. sure. everyone's in on it. 
and that's okay. And I think where you know folklore falls short is it's 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 pretentious. It's trying to be serious, even though it's not. And uh, but yeah, the Evil Dead kind of just just go for it, man, and have fun, and don't forget that movies are supposed to be fun. Mm-hmm. I I do think that it. It, it was a huge influence. If not, you know, maybe I should have listened to those lessons a little bit more. <laughs> I mean, I do think that this lands on that field. You know what I mean? Like, if, if you're kicking towards something like Evil Dead yeah. or Rocky Horror or, or one of these trashy good times that everybody loves, these cult films that where you get, even when they're fucked up, like, we, Carl just, you, we were just talking about Evil Dead 2 and how how like raucous that movie is that movie is yeah, just like a ride man. it's just Holy pedal to the shit. floor a hundred gallons of fake blood i applaud the amount of corn syrup that your actors had to sit in in yeah. this movie it's Oof. amazing um but there's it, me there's me i'm like i'm like oh i need a blood stain on their clothes let me pour a gallon of fake blood inside your clothes <laughs> hoping it'll soak through it never does <laughs> meanwhile they're literally stuck like like that scene where jordan's like pulling off his coat and it's all stuck to him that's real stuck. him yelling that's yeah. because all the hair on his chest is being torn off <laughs> oh my god that's I, hilarious i have seen this movie <laughs> multiple times and it's not it's not just because I know people in it and I recognize places. It's it's charming. It has a charm that I keep coming back for. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> I it is it is really helpful. Obviously, I'm really glad that I went to the um to the ultra high level on your Patreon subscriber list so that way you guys would say all these nice things about my movie <laughs> cuz like, you know, <laughs> if I had this I don't have a dog really in this brutal, but it is it is nice. It is nice. And I think you know, we all get that way, right? Creatively, we all sit there and say, like, I'm not ready to pull the trigger on this project. I'm not mm-hmm. good enough. I don't have the right camera yet. I'm, you know, and like, like there is some, yeah. Oh yeah, man, right? And like we I all are. I don't have the right cable for the thing. Just write the goddamn. Yeah, thing, I'll just right? do it next year. And it's like yeah. you know, at some point, you know, or like you write it and then you're like, um, oh, I should really show this to people for some feedback. But then you're like, ah, I, I don't want their feedback. It's fine, you know. And like you know, like like going those next steps and just going through it. Um, yeah, yeah, there is something to be said for like, you know, my wife was just, she's like, how you feeling after it was done? She's like, kind of, kind of, kind of the same way you would say to somebody after a funeral, you know, <laughs> how you feeling? <laughs> and, she, and, and I'm like, you know, much like after a funeral, I was like, you know, I think, I think it's finally at peace, you know, it's like, it's like I finally gone through this journey and we've all had a, a wake where we tell funny stories about it. Oh my but, God. I love it. What's that's so interesting. Like, that's why I think. The the George McFly uh, character works so well. It was such a brilliant character in the in the first Back to the Future movie, because he represents most artists and filmmakers, writers. Because he is as a writer, he wants to write science fiction, but he is afraid to put it out there. Because what if nobody likes it? What if what if I'm no good? And it's the it's, goddamn it, just put it out there, right? Right. So that George McFly syndrome, we all we all suffer from that. In, in a lot of ways. And, and yeah. we're all creatives. Really We've all had that project that this is your origin story. We've all had our own one of those. And mm-hmm. it's kind of cringy, but you did yeah. it. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah, for sure. So we've kind of been, in a fun way, throwing out stuff. Like, in talking about this movie, we've been throwing out stuff for young filmmakers. You know, like, yeah. oh, this was a big influence on me. I highly recommend, uh, you know, Rebel Without a Crew is amazing. 
Um, if if people, there's another thing. If you need to get a fire lit under your ass, one of my all time favorite go tos is Kevin Smith, his films, and his podcasts. Because yes. spe- yeah. specifically, there's a podcast. It it was very short lived because it the way that it's structured, it it couldn't have gone on. But it's called Film School Fridays. And Kevin Smith did a mm. tour of seven film schools, and he talked to a bunch of film students, people who wanted to be editors, directors, actors, and he just talked about, in, in these podcasts, he gets really earnest, he talks about his experiences, he put, uh, Clerks is his first film, not technically his first film, but it's his first big feature, and he right. put that whole thing on credit cards, and one of the things that that really struck me as a young dude, you know, 20, 22 years old or whatever, was he, he said I, his movie cost $27,000 and he put it on all on credit cards. And he said, either this movie will be a huge success and I'll be able to pay that off or I'll be in debt until I'm well into middle age or even old. But he's like, when I sat down at, at the first film festival where we screened that, I thought, even if I have to work shitty jobs for 30 years to pay these credit cards off, I have to do this again before I die because I love yeah. it so much. Mm-hmm. To to know to like make that move that was powerful for me because he's like, yeah. okay, maybe I am gonna be in fucking debt forever, but it was worth it because goddamn was this a blast. And that really is the attitude. You have to have some of that. Fuck it, throw it to the wind. Let's do this thing, however it's got to happen to make it happen. Yeah. And so yeah, like and it, another another great thing he talks about this movie Slacker, Richard Linklater's first mm-hmm. film. And I went and watched Slacker, and you were saying, Jeff, like, when people watch Folklore, they'll be like, oh, if Jeff can make Folklore, I can make a fucking movie. If you want to watch a movie that's amazing and made for, like, pennies, watch Slacker. If Richard Linklater can shoot Slacker, you can shoot whatever's in your head. You can get your thing going, for sure. Now, now, conversely, the (laughs) movie not to watch that they showed us in film school was uh, American Movie. Yeah. Uh, oh, the one about the uh, the, the, the two guys? the two fake filmmakers trying to make uh, Coven. Oh yes, my God. Coven! Yes. I fucking love Coven. Well, yeah, it's so funny because we they showed us the documentary in film school. Right. So that's is that a real story? Because I still yeah. love yeah. it. Yeah, so it's actually, yeah, it's okay. them, yeah, and the documentary was wildly successful, and the movie was like whatever. But then they got the last laugh because it got put on the on the documentary's disc. Right. But like, um. That was not because, like, that one that should that is that's the folklore kind of thing where you're like, someone should have told these guys to stop. So why didn't someone, <laughs> you know, like do this? But, like, that is the worst thing to show an aspiring film student because it's like this mirror held up to you where you're like, oh my God, am I going to be that? Per- am I going to be the one ramming my friend's head into the cabinet over and over again and say, oh, wait, we didn't, we forgot to cut it so that your head would go through and now I've just been giving you a concussion over and over again. Now you don't um, remember the smell of your mother. Like, Yeah, yeah oh, sorry. Um, so, sorry. I don't know, or her name would have been more appropriate. Your... <laughs> no, I, I feel like like brutal head trauma does take odd details from you. It's like, I just yeah. can't remember what color my mom's hair was. I remember everything right. else, but was she bald or... Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and I'm blind in my right eye all of a sudden, too. That's fucking kind of weird. Yeah. I can only feel sexual joy when I'm smashing my head into a counter now. I don't know what <laughs> Right. <laughs> Honey, I need you to ram my head into the cupboards. Uh, yeah, and come. And by the way, uh, spoilers, 2021, the next project from Quillen Film, it's about a young man who can only feel sexual joy when he's smashing his head into counters. Well, we're, we're very you know, artsy it, here. 
it's funny you mentioned like or just it's kind of back to the Kevin Smith thing. Another fun uh, I remember that quote that you had said it is very inspiring. Um and another thing you can look up are the 15-minute film schools by Robert Rodriguez. They're on the end of all mm-hmm. of his movies, but I think they're all on YouTube now and they're just him as his movies got bigger and bigger, he's like, "Hey, check out this like super fucking awesome thing I did for no money on this $32 million feature, you know? And like, he's always doing stuff like that. That was cool. But I was thinking back to another thing you can do. I, I don't know where you would look it up at. If you went like onto Reddit or something and said, how was Tusk made? And, oh my and God. Ran, from, from beginning to end, because they're just that it starts on his podcast. They're just shooting the shit. And one of them, they're high as they usually are. And they're making jokes. The episode what, what is the episode is called the Walrus and the Carpenter. See, yeah, yeah. You start there, Wasn't that and they literally make it up live, quote unquote, on the air, and they and you can hear the moment where Kevin Smith says, "There's something here." Like I would watch this, and they proceed to make the movie, and 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 it's a good movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, That's what we have two five ply? of our ideas from two, our right. Do we like, got <laughs> two, two ply, two <laughs> ply coming yeah, soon ply. to a YouTube yeah. near you. Uh, and I definitely want to hear about your guys' ideas because that, that I just think it'd be so fun to, oh, to talk about and get think, them out there. Oh, no. I think we need to have pitch meeting part two probably yeah. right, with an extra extra <laughs> yeah. mic. Um, do you mind Absolutely. if I share a brief story? I'm so glad you brought oh, Tusk yeah. up. Okay, so the the movie that I shot that I keep like mildly alluding to when I listened to that episode, The Walrus and the Carpenter, and they talk about essentially the idea that becomes the film Tusk. And my buddy Brandon Ward, shout out to Brandon Ward, he's the another reason that I ever picked up a camera and did all this, came, we went to work one day and he's like, dude, did you listen to the new Smodcast? I was like, I fucking did. By the way, that's the podcast. It's called Smodcast. I think the episode's like in the 200s somewhere, maybe 241 or 242. But um, he's like, dude, you, I've always been a writer, writer first. That's my, my thing. I'm, I just write. And he was like, you should write a film script based on that idea and send it to him and see if he'll make it. And I'm 22, so I'm like, a fucking course he will. I'm a genius, and you know. <laughs> so I did. I went. I went home, and nice. I started like outlining. And I, I was. I took that those bones, and I started writing a film script. And then you know, like two weeks later or whatever, I'm like 36, 40 pages in, and I get to work, and Brandon goes, Ah, dude, Kevin, Kevin started writing the screenplay. He's, they're gonna actually make it into a movie, so you don't, you don't have to write that script. But I just kept writing that script, and yeah. I, and that's where my movie was born. Was taking that, I, you know, I'm like, okay, well, if he's that's doing, awesome. yeah, so I'm like, if he's doing that, I'll strip out the shit that was gonna be for that idea, and how can I re, oh, blah blah blah, and that led me to new ideas, and bang, I had a film script like less than a month later, kicked off of by this this. The energy of that podcast yeah. is so incredible because it's just like you said, Jeff. You can hear in the like the last thirty minutes, they start riffing, and mm-hmm. it's it starts with a real life news story, but then they're just it's just it's improv. They're improving like, yeah. oh, and yeah. then he does this, and he yeah, fucking yes, shows yeah, it. They're yes anding each other for the whole thing and until they dude that they, light goes they off. yes and themselves to the yeah. most fucked up thing you've ever imagined, and then they both get the light bulb and they're like, we should make a that's a fucking movie. And then, yeah. bang, there you are. But, like, the energy of that, like, the fact that we could all just be sitting here on microphones talking, and one of us gets an idea, and then someone else kicks something else in, and what you don't realize when you've never made a movie is that's how movies happen. That's how movies yeah. get made. Someone gets an idea, because they're very collaborative art form, someone else kicks in an idea, 
And then you start asking, hey, do you know anybody who, hey, do you know anybody, you have a camera? Like, everybody I worked with was, I'm like, shit, I don't have a camera. Uh, Steven, do you have a camera? You do? Oh, you're in the film, you're doing film classes? Do you know anyone else who has a camera? That way nice. you can, that's how we found, yeah, so at, at one point, I went from having. That's how we shot Wayward and Sheamus. Yeah, yeah dude, and you go from, you go from, ah, oh, shit. Next, I, next episode, Wayward and Sheamus. Oh, I don't know if we can find any copies of that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure the, we can. I'll talk the, to Danielle. Oh, no, I, the physical discs are no longer in the, the clamshells, and the director, writer, the co-director, co-writer has pulled everything down on YouTube because we all have adult jobs and there's some seeds that are questionable. <laughs> now, see, they said that the Goose Lake recordings of the Stooges didn't exist either, and then Third Man Records put those out on vinyl last year. So, oh, but, man. But you can go from a place of knowing nobody and having no actors and no cameras to suddenly you know a guy who has a camera, and then a week later you're shooting a four-camera multi-cam scene. It didn't hurt yeah. that we were in Marquette. Right, yeah. that It's easy to find. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If, if you, you could do worse than Marquette because they've got... Yeah. Plunder your local theater, honestly, yeah. because... That's it. Big, I was in Big Rapids when we shot Wayward and Seamus, and it was like you either grab them from Ferris or you grab them from Stage M or whatever local group is out there, and people flock to it because it's fun and exciting, and it's a movie that you're doing. And people want to <laughs> act. Actors want to act. Like oh I'm, yeah and it, and if yeah I know like 2020 is the worst ever <laughs> year for us. <laughs> no, but it's rough. You don't you fucking miss it, dude. Yeah, I yeah. miss. I hate auditioning. I hate it. Capital H hate it. It's one of those nerve wracking throw up beforehand things. But like nah. But there's a reason so you, you keep doing it. Yeah, the reason yeah. keeps well if there's no shows to do because everything's shut down. It's just like right. Yeah. <laughs> It's what that excitement is gone too. Yeah, like you, the fear of it. Oh man, I didn't even think of that. But filmmakers, if you want to make a movie, man, late twenty twenty one is going to be your time to shine because every actor in America is going to be like, "What, what do you want me to do? You want me to bash my head into a cupboard until I'm a sexual freak and blind in my right eye? Give it to me, baby." Freaking, we got R- we got R D J on freaking uh, cameo or whatever doing two hundred fifty dollar greeting cards or whatever. So yeah. And guys, I messed up what I, my joke should have been about instead of I can't get sexual satisfaction without hitting my head on the counter. I should have said I can't get sexual satisfaction without thinking about my mother. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, Swiss oh. Army Man. I I'll know. Bring it t- back. Tiebacks. Hey, how about that Hellraiser <laughs> film? Right? Am I right? <laughs> I noticed a, a lot of. Were you inspired by the Hellraiser comics with Hellboy, Hellraiser? <laughs> I um, didn't, yeah. Oh, you know, oh, yeah. You mean like the original John Constantine types? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Hellblazer, yeah. Oh, Hellblazer, yes. Definitely. Hellblazer. I, I can totally see it. Like, all that was missing was like a cancerous amount of cigarette smoke, and yeah. you've got yourself a John Constantine yeah. type. He's Get gruff. him a pack of Chester Duodenums, and now we're good to go. <laughs> Here's more this is almost Thatch like the John Constantine prequel, right? Like, like this, like, like before he was a badass. <laughs> oh, my God. This is his origin story because he pulled through a fucking portal to hell, man. Yeah, this is like the new cat. This is like a, the teddy bear. If Newcastle oh. never happened, but folklore happened instead. Yeah, you still end up with John Constantine at the end. Yep. And, you know. Um, okay, I have. You know, sorry to get. Uh, I, I, oh, go ahead. Well, sorry. Just one last, one last thing. Just that you guys are saying. And then I saw Bird was trying to say something, and I think we bulldozed her. But the um, uh, one thing I do tell people, I tell I, uh, young filmmakers like the four who I've talked to, and, and you know, to, and and whatever, <laughs> is I do often say people are like, you know, I I, I always love to say. 
that that filmmaking that the hardest step is the first step and it gets easier after that. And what I mean by that is like the hardest thing is saying, I'm going to make a movie, making that commitment to yourself saying, I'm going to make a movie now. I'm going to shoot it next summer. All right. I've said, I've got to do that. Now the next hardest step is what, you know, writing the script and deciding what it's going to be, but it's not as hard as the decision to commit to it. And then once you get the script down, the next hardest thing is putting it out there and getting revisions on it, but it's not as hard as, you know, and it does, it gets easier because every decision gets smaller and smaller. And after a while you're down to like, you're like, what location do we want to use? And which actor are we picking? And what's, you know, like where, where are we getting our peanut butter and jelly from? (laughs) And, uh, but the decisions get smaller and smaller and it, it really, I don't know. I'm sure that there are other things like that, but it really feels unique to the creative process where the first decision is the hardest one. And then it starts to build momentum. It gets Mm -hmm. easier as it goes. You just have to go for it. And I wouldn't recommend like, I've never done this before. I'm going to make a feature film, but make a short, you know what I mean? Make a five minute short and put it on YouTube because you have the world's biggest film festival out there and it's free and it's called YouTube and everyone can fucking see your thing. Yeah. Right. And now everybody has an iPhone or something that they can shoot on. It's so easy now. Yeah. Yeah. The new ones are absolutely outstanding, too. Carl's got got the fancy schmancy multi cam Mm -hmm. one, and it's pretty baller. I mean, Richard Linklater, again, bringing him up, he shot a whole Hollywood production on the new iPhone. Not even the newest one. Yeah. The previous generation. He shot an entire feature on the iPhone because the camera was so fucking good. Which movie was that? Um, it's the one that came out bo- either right before or right after Boyhood. Um, okay. One of those, one whichever one that was, was shot on the the new the newest iPhone. Um, awesome. I have I still have notes for folklore. You've derailed us with your inspiring <laughs> filmmaker talk, but I'm I, trying to. I'm I, trying to. <laughs> I must not let I you know up because I've got questions. I want to know how you did that clock effect. That was pretty goddamn cool. I, I have the Ooh, same exact yes. note. That clock, the oh, alarm clock. Funny, easiest thing in the world. The, one of the few shots where you can tell that the camera isn't moving. It's on a tripod. And so I just had him put his hand in close and back. And then I let the camera roll for 10 minutes. And, or no, actually, I just, I reached over and I pushed the buttons to reset the time so that they would cycle fast. And I just cropped my hand out. And, and and that's it. And so, like, as his hand comes in, it just goes fast. And then he pulls his hand out and he puts it in. Dude, and, like, it looks great. Yeah. yeah. It was funny when that, when that shot came up. I was like, I was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And then, you know, five minutes later, they're shooting a bullet out, out in that fight outside the bar. <laughs> yeah. like, and, and then he orgasms purple out of his mouth. I don't know. <laughs> And I, I wrote down yeah. purple ghost smoke seizure death when the homie tries to <laughs> cheat is so fucking good. That's what you uh, get, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> oh my! God. I love I love that dude. And I, this is one of my favorite little acting beats. Is any when that dude does his little death seizure, I just love that was Evil Dead to me. Like yes. I can you can see where it's you you could have yeah. leaned into it when he just uh, tongue out and lips akimbo and oh I, was, I loved that. Um, I, I, have a, I have a question. Yeah, yeah. So we'll go back and forth. I okay. have one. Yeah. I have a question. So, uh, for if for something to be considered a modern uh, weapon, is there a particular year yes. or era? Yes. What was it? The rule was, I believe. Um, I don't know how spoken it was, but I think I did anything post-industrial, any industrial revolution or later. Right. I think you mentioned it was something about gunpowder or something yeah. like pre-invention of gunpowder, because right. right, which that would be like. 
like I don't know if at the time I knew that like China had it in like right. yeah. you know right. whatever like forever ago. But yeah, definitely was like anything mechanized or whatever, yeah. and just an excuse to you know play with swords. But right, absolutely. And then you don't have to like uh, do car interior shots and right. all that oh. kind of shit right. people driving <laughs> yeah there's or, there's some headaches involved in shooting pitch. in a car one thing you don't know uh here you go young young filmmakers when you're shooting inside a car at night that lighting is almost impossible because if you don't have that car hooked up to a rig the driver is blind because the dash lights oh, yeah. are not bright enough to light them so you have to light the driver's face and that means you're driving with, like, a fairly fucking bright light directly in your eyes. I definitely drove a car for about 10 miles, not even seeing the road at all. Wow. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, Super that's safe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, actually, speaking of safety, here, my turn, Carl. Oh, no. Yep. Dude, that axe throw into the tree. How? It, okay, is, is that it real? Is it a digital effect? Composite shot? Yeah. What the fuck is yeah, that? Yeah, so... So yeah, no, that's that's digital. So like the there's two shots. There's the flipping right. shot, which I don't know how. Remember how I did it, but that was done in post. There was nothing there. Just and just like three frames of a blurry thing flipping, and then it just cuts to her doing that. And honestly, I think the sound effect is what makes that shot work because it's just such a, pop, you know. Because I rolled it back, and I was ninety nine percent sure that someone threw an axe at her head. Oh, we did exactly we, the same we thing. We went back. Paused it and went frame by frame. I'll tell you right now, dude, that shot holds the fuck up. We thought okay. that you just like. I, I also have questions about the arrows. Being the arrows shot. too. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So arrow one hits her bag. So so just comes into the shot. She's carrying it low. It's already in there, and she just flinches. And sound effect of the thing hitting, and it's already there. Okay. The, the, tree. Hit, the hitting the tree is a, is another locked off shot. So I had her run behind it, and then we shot the tree with the arrow and just spliced them together um amazing and then there was yeah yeah there was one that shot she like gets grazed by an arrow later i don't remember how we did that like maybe i shot her for real i don't know (laughs) (laughs) so my my favorite one of my favorite examples of that trick shot that that trick photography of like the pulling the bag up um i know this is gonna sound crazy but i think it's one of the best moments of this film called rush hour two there's a, <laughs> there's a moment in Rush Hour 2 where two characters are sitting in the back of a limo and one throws uh, a butterfly knife at another character into an apple that's in her mouth. And it's a whip pan. So we she moves her hand real fast. We whip pan to the right and we hear that as the knife goes yep. into the apple. Every time I see that, even though you know how it's done, the knife is already in the apple. We just whip pan over to it. It's such but, a great effect, period. Yeah. And it's actually yeah, a magic. works. Yeah, it's a magical technique, too, which is if you want someone to look somewhere, you look where you're where you want them to look. And you also use motion. So if you're going to pretend to throw a, for example, throw like a card or a ball or whatever, and it's already out of your hand, you move your hand fast and you look where it's going. So yep. that whip pan and then bang, it it, it works perfectly. It's it's called um, uh, uh, spatial retention. Your brain, yes. yeah, your brain will follow that path. And even uh, it's actually really cool if you see oh, someone it's like a gestalt principle. Yeah, sure, yeah. Gotcha. So if you if you yeah. see someone pretend to throw a coin, if you've seen a shiny coin and they'll throw it in the air, even if they don't throw it, your eye will still see the glimmer of the coin in the air, even though there's nothing there. Your brain does all the work. And you use that to really good effect because I swear to you, I thought that I was like, damn, Jeff was an irresponsible filmmaker. He's whipping axes <laughs> yeah. at his people and holy that's shit. My, that's my note that they, there, uh, there is- were, there were two injuries. One was, um, 
when Jordan, who was not playing father at the time on the top of the uh, waterfall, he gets like killed from behind. And you see this insert shot of her grab his legs and start to pull him away. We didn't tell her don't drag him on oh, the sharp shit. rocks of the waterfall. Uh, uh, and so uh, she pulled him like three feet, um, bare skin back and stuff on this thing. And he got like all cut up and we're like, Audrey. And she's like, what? You said to pull him. But I was like, acting. I don't know. <laughs> and then, uh, and then the other one was my, the bottom of my foot got cut right the fuck open when I was the naked swamp monster guy running around. Mud boy. Be- yeah. Yeah. Because I had my feet like wrapped in like, t-shirt and like that didn't hold up very long in the fetid swamp and so i just had this huge gash <laughs> on my foot that i washed out with river water and oh. it was like infected for the rest of like i'm like maybe what? that's why the camera is wobbling because maybe i just got this infection oh, but, you, uh, get a, no. you get a staff infection so yeah like you're all feverish oh my god did that infection finally clear up like this year or holy <laughs> shit dude it yeah, was you, a while you man picked, but like, you know like you said swamp. you <laughs> The adrenaline, you just keep going, you know. Yeah. Uh, um. Speaking, speaking of, oh, um, go ahead, Carl. You're gonna say what I'm gonna, gonna say. I was gonna say. Speaking of infections, so early when when he meets uh, Warrior, uh, she sews him up. Is she sewing him up with uh, dental floss? Yep. And is she rubbing her nose and then putting ointment on him? Ooh, I don't know. I don't remember the nose rubbing part. I forgot. Oh, about it's that. hilarious because she's sewing him up with the. Uh, with yep, the yep. dental floss, and then she's she 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 wipes her nose, <laughs> oh, <that's so laughs> and then she puts the ointment on her fingers. I forgot her about that aspect because, like the the dental floss part of it is very realistic. Like that came from Jordan, field medic type stuff. It's like, what do you do to sew something? He's like, oh, you know, you put alcohol on anything, and you're good to go. Right. And uh, so she just soaks the shit out of like what she has there. But yeah, yeah. It what was that? It was um. My, was it Minority Report when he gets new eyes and Peter Stormare? It just got huge boogers everywhere. Yeah. He's like, "Don't worry about it. The antibiotics will take care of everything." Or something. Exactly. <laughs> Smoking a cigarette, putting his ocular shit in. Yeah. yeah. So you got a chew cup running, you know? Just, yeah. Hold on, I got spit. Dude, um, you so I, that's you down in that that mud hole, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know how big a fan I'm. Pretty sure Lord of the Rings came out 2001, but I immediately went to Urukai being dug out of the mud. And when that first Urukai comes up out of the mud, he kills the yeah, goblin. That so fucking it's it's amazing. And that's I'm sure that was stolen from there, like subconsciously, because like there's no way I came up with that. But I definitely wasn't thinking of it. Sure, but no, there's I, no. It's got to be. I, I have so many movies in my brain that I could probably have tied it to some bullshit black and white from 27 or whatever, but. I well, you figure you figure we're 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 you know you're younger than than me, but like you know we're we're of the Gen X Gen Y you know age where these fantasy action sci fi martial arts movies, like if you go into that genre, you're gonna draw from the same you mm-hmm. know cloth, and mm-hmm. and it is a fairly new genre that with technology and stuff, right? Like Peter Jackson being able to finally pull this off and all right. these other things. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely part of it. So, real quick testicle story. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, so of course I make the decision that I'm just going to wear the loincloth and nothing underneath it cuz I'm being authentic. Acting. So like thank y'all. Yeah, acting. So there's the guy who's like Matt Matt Lamphere. Shout out to my be- great buddy Matt Lamphere who um he worked he, so what day 1 we're shooting the crime scene and you can hear the audio is so bad and that's because we like grabbed somebody else's microphone because ours was crapping out and like we went to the martial arts studio where Matt and I trained and we're like 
Matt, our microphone crept out. He's like, here, let me steal the the TV stations, MKH 416, you know, $1,500 Sennheiser microphone, which is what he shot the rest of the movie on. I don't know what they were making the news with because we took their <laughs> microphone, <laughs> but we had their thing. Anyway, so we're out in the woods, and he's the guy who I believe – I. Wait, he's the guy who gets his throat slit. So one guy gets tackled and stabbed a bunch of times, and one guy gets his throat slit. So I'm in this scene. I'm standing up, even though this is a podcast. And so I'm in the scene, and like I cut him and whatever. And then and I'm directing because I'm not shooting. So I'm standing there straddling him, like up in the air. And I'm like going, "Okay, we're gonna go over here. Now you get the shot over there. You get it." And Matt's like, "Dude, dude!" And I'm like, I look down. I'm like, "What?" And he's like, "You're not wearing any underwear." And I'm like, just standing over his face for like ten minutes trying to direct the scene. With nothing just on underneath. Just your nuts hanging just, just hanging down. <laughs> he was so mad. It was so funny. They, there were other times when me and Audrey were doing that fight scene where my loincloth got twisted and she would just be like, nuts. And like, from that, from yeah, that and angle, just, it must have looked like a sad turtle. Just Oh, my God. It was so cool. <laughs> nothing worse but, than muddy nuts. Honestly. Oh, my God. <laughs> it took me, it took me like hours to get that black paint body paint off and like we won't even talk about cultural appropriation because like 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 literally it was so funny though and that's kind of the innocence of filmmaking because like clearly should have you know hired a native american actor should have you know done it more like legit like i'm dealing with some pretty heavy stuff i mean it's all kind of implied but it's still you know right. the slaughter of his family and whatever yeah. but um but like the way that the decision wasn't that never even crossed my mind because I'm just so hopped up on making this that my thought was I'm literally not going to get anybody else to do this. That's the role I'll play because I'm the only one who's willing to climb into that mud hole and run around naked in the woods. It's a pretty so hectic I'll do that. role for sure. I'll, yeah. I love that phrase you just used because that's that is 100 percent the energy. I'm so hopped up on making this. Yeah, mm-hmm. that yeah. that right there is why pre-production is so amazing it's such an amazing time in a film because you can once you start shooting dude that is that is like it is it's cocaine every day just just the 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 energy you're like let's shoot fuck let's go all right let's do another page we still got light pre-productions where you're like all right let's plan this because once we start there is no stopping this thing that's yeah. what. Oh man, I love that. Jeff's phrase. gonna be naked with and with a loincloth on. We're yeah. he's not making reasonable decisions. We got to plan ahead. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's it's also the same kind of energy I like to try to bring to screenwriting because a lot of people, maybe most people, they get so hung up on like, you know, um, where am I gonna find this actor or this location or this whatever? And I'm always like, write like you have no budget concerns. Obviously, like don't do. 50,000 orcs come flying over the hills as an army, but but outside of that, write anything and right. then pull it back, as opposed mm-hmm. to like, you know, people put that pressure on themselves when they're first writing the script, and it's so debilitating, at least for me, yeah. creatively. Absolutely. Like It's like, yeah, because again, that thing where you ask 25 people, so maybe you know, there'll be 25 crazy things in the script, and if you manage to pull off 21 of them, that's wow. pretty awesome. It's the opposite of what people tell you about everything else. Like if yeah. you 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 can always add the about adding more, and you can't take more out. It's the opposite of that. You can all put everything in because you can yeah. always take things out. Yeah. Right. Like if somebody else had edited this movie, they would have pulled so much out. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been so Actually, great. would have would have written it episodic for television and made oh it five hours god. longer. Oh my god. <laughs> I think it also forces you to find the creative solutions to the problems that you've presented yourself with. Right there, it is. Absolutely. So true. Absolutely. So true. And and it always 
it's always ends up being that one plus one equals three thing where you're like, I'm, I, I'm not sure if I can think of an example from folklore because it's been so long, but there's just so many times where you're like, um, you know, okay, we need, we need this. We don't have that. What about this new idea, this new solution? And it's bet always better mm-hmm. than the original thing in the screen. You're like, Oh my God, that makes so much more sense. And yeah, you're, you're so right. That creative pressure and, and in the moment, that problem solving. I mean, pro- filmmaking is problem solving right. if, before anything else. It's a great point, Bird. Uh, we to an example from another film that no one's ever seen. Um, <laughs> I remember, but this is this is true though. Like you, you put in like these larger than life. You know, anything you want to write, throw it in because you can always, like Carl, like Carl said, you can always take stuff out. But once if it's not there to begin with, when, and you try and shoehorn it in, it's weird. Um, when I first wrote my screenplay, I knew a special effects artist who specialized in like prosthetic makeup and uh, like gore, and uh, so I wrote in all this wild shit, like exposed nice. rib cages and breathing broken lungs leg. and stuff, broken yeah. leg. I had all sorts of wild effects in there, and I was dealing with this uh, this student at NMU who was going there. Uh, was had, she knew how to do like latex and do facial models and she was the bomb and I, I met with her several times and like literally a week before we started shooting she got arrested for embezzlement she had embezzled like $250,000 from the university and got arrested so now I have a script filled with practical gore effects that I can't do any of them and we're set right. to shoot and I have I have people who like quit their jobs for three months to come and shoot this thing and I'm like fuck so every day was Oh, okay, yeah. In this scene, you're supposed to have like no arm, but we can't do that. So how do we mm-hmm. how do we do this? Um, wow. Yeah. I like you decided that I was the best actor in the entire town, and decided that I'm gonna, of course, be in this fucking yeah, thing. Of course. And yeah. there was a bit where I get crucified, and we're supposed to have a hanging harness to like hang me on a metal bar that's suspended from the beams of an no walls open air sawmill in the middle of UP Michigan winter. Oh my God. And it was the, the coldest, coldest winter, winter in uh, like 65 years. It was that one year in the UP when uh, NMU was closed for cold days. Like they, yes. they had a, mm-hmm. almost every day for like two weeks was negative 40 degrees before wind chill. That's not a joke, listener. Negative. I lived in a place where it was negative forty degrees for two weeks. Yeah, and this is a school that never closes never, down. They have literally oh my built God. underground mm-hmm. tunnels connecting things because they're like, "Hey, you fucking signed on for this shit. Good luck." And they they still. It was a yeah. I remember that. Yeah, it was. It was one of the most brutal winters of all time. It's fucked up. Um. So that was the winter where we're gonna shoot me getting mm-hmm. crucified on a metal pole, naked Buck outside, ass naked. buck ass naked, covered in with the fake tattoos in the movie actually look pretty awesome. Covered in fake pro- fake tattoos, covered in corn syrup blood, and I don't have my special effects person, so we have no harness. So my solution is, I guess let's shoot fast and just really crucify me. Yeah. So we oh wrote so we wrote my bare skin to metal and oh. this is kind of that indie thing where you're like I know this is going to hurt me but it's going to look fucking cool and you just have that yeah. energy man. And so yeah. that but that's also why you need people there to be like why don't exactly. we take Exactly, you don't do this. We take a pause. Oh my gosh, can I tell my <laughs> I was my shooting not story? there that day. I would like to point out <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Carl, oh what do you my, got? Oh my God! So yeah, how stupid we are when we try and shoot something we shouldn't if you don't have the proper like safety gear for it. Right. So you know the shot in um in Gladiator when he's 
like laying on his back and the ground is going mm. underneath him like he's yeah. passing over it. And so I listened to the Ridley Scott commentary and, and, and heard how they did it. There he He's just supported on a, on like a plank when they're shooting over him and they're like essentially driving him with a pickup truck over gravel or whatever. Right. So I'm like, sweet. So I was doing, uh, it's a parody film. Obviously I'm going to do that sort of thing. So one of the main characters, Seamus gets knocked out and has that sort of scene happen as like a nod to that, but in that funny sort of like a Nash lampoon kind of way. Mm. So we didn't have any real equipment. So the shot is him laying on the, the the bed of the pickup truck <laughs> with him from his torso oh, shit. to his head and he's a very fit gentleman so he's just like keeping himself level while oh. two people are holding his legs down to the bed of the truck oh my god while my camera operator is straddled over him he wasn't wearing a loincloth <laughs> so luckily it's not from his face but he did but have his balls cam- out. He did. Right, with the cam- <laughs> with just, the, just cause. Just cause, with yeah. The heavy, with the heavy air quotes, borrowed XL1 from Ferris. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. And, and, and we're driving like 20 miles an hour, had to keep getting the shot because it wasn't, it was really shaky. And, and Rich, our camera up, kept having to jump off the truck because he was getting like, he couldn't stand up straight. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh my God. That, that's amazing. And I love those moments when you're like, why didn't we just put like a two by four under him and stick yeah. it out the back and have and like you don't think of it until after you've tried to kill somebody? Meanwhile, right? Vic's like, I only got one more in me, man. I can't hold myself up yeah. like that and act like I'm passed out. That's so funny. <laughs> R- R- he's just like so ripped now. Yeah, pa- the, uh, passed out. Just every muscle like fully torqued. In the first Wolverine movie. Rich Brow- Rich Brower once said something and it made something so clear now. He's like, there's something when you're shooting stuff. He's like, when you're when you're looking in real life, you're like, holy shit, that explosion is really close to me. But when you're looking through the viewfinder or through, you know, through the through the eye, the eye loop, you're like, oh, I'm completely safe. It's like you're 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 like, it's just a movie. You're, you're like, are you out of your you know, you're like, if I just, you know, I, let's get closer, I'll just get a wider shot. And like, yeah, you when you're shooting it. Oh my god, dude! There's an epic site. Oh, uh, I'm sure you guys have seen it now. Is it, it's is it shitty rigs or something? Or f- it's uh oh my god! Oh, I'll look it up. But it's 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 like shittyrigs.com or something like that. And it's all just the jankiest filmmaking setups ever. And it's <laughs> oh. also it's it's like Ours guys like to get a shot. Like these 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 African gentlemen are making a movie and they're on a moped, not a moped, like a little spree. And one guy's driving it. The other guy's laying with his belly on the handlebars. Oh his my. legs are straddling his friend, and he's holding the camera out in front of him. And that's how they're just like whipping <laughs> through the street. Yeah, oh we we would push Nick on a skate or uh, Rich on a skateboard <laughs> to make it look like we had a like a dolly track. We just push him, someone behind him pushing him on a skateboard, how so that it looked like a. Yeah, yeah, shitty, shitty rigs, shitty rigs.com. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I wrote that down immediately. Um so you were just talking about like through the viewfinder you feel invincible because there's yeah. because you're there you're right, there's a lens between you and the thing. I'm an idiot. So there's a scene <laughs> There's a I there's this scene Bird is just nodding at Gilp. At all of these moments Bird was not on set and there's the reason why, you know, because I'm like, "Huh, I'm going to probably have to do this thing that Bird would hate." So, uh, there's a there was a bit where I I didn't have any stunt drivers, it's friends, you know. And it's a, my Subaru Forester is, you know, is in the shot and it's a guy driving out to a cabin in Michigan on icy roads. We picked the iciest roads we could find because I wanted a big fishtail swerve, right? Yeah. And what he does is he's driving up a hill and as he crests the hill, 
he sees a big black garbage bag filled with indistinct fur, bones, and blood and swerves to miss it. So he swerves around it to miss it, right? And I'm like, okay, I want a really low angle shot of this right by the bag as close to the car as possible so that we can really get that action shot. And rather than set up a low angle tripod or like a stationary fig rig or something, I laid down on the ground with a shoulder rig and so I could, because I'm like, not only do I want this shot, I'm going to do a focus pull as he swerves around me. Because, you know, you, that's how you get that independent spirit award, baby. Shallow focus, come on. Yeah, first, it's, is it even really an indie movie if it's not, like, shallow focus that's constantly racking back and forth? focus is for posers. Yeah, know? for sure, dude. Get your, get your fingers out in the cold, bro. So we must have done no shit, like, 15 takes of him bombing up this hill at, like, 45, 50 miles an hour. And then he's swerving around like it, it. I'm like every shot he would be like, "How was that?" I'm like, "You have to get closer to me, you fucking idiot! Come on, you, go faster <laughs> and way more out of control." All right, let's go again. And I'm laying on oh the in the middle of the street, having my friend just swerving a car around me at like at at speed. And then like five oh, days later, I'm sitting there and I was like, "Oh man, I could have died doing that. That was horrible." <laughs> like and but it's that energy. It's that yeah. it's that that film thing you're like and you and i got the shot you know yep <laughs> so. yep got the yeah and that isn't that the funny thing too well did you get the shot yep all right yeah that, that's the I, key. I, I almost got ran over by a tank uh last summer not not this summer with covid but the summer before for the national guard I'm just out there and they're doing uh tank uh battle formations and like they i'm out there in the field where i'm supposed to be and i'm like just looking through my thing and like these big armored tanks are flying down yeah. and one comes flying right next to me and i'm like and i'm like oh that shot was okay and somebody's like like one of the soldiers dude i almost fucking killed you i'm like really and he's like yeah i was like oh sorry and like went back and reviewed the footage and my 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 second thought was wow that was really close to killing me because they can't see he's looking through a little fucking viewfinder like this in his armored going as fast as they can and like he was probably like 10 feet from me and stuff when he went by but my my first shot was oh i wish i wish it was a little closer because the shot would have been cooler oh my and that's why, yeah, that is why you need someone like Bird next to you to be like, no, 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 that was plenty close. Yeah. I've told, I've told people this, this sounds, this is vi- not chauvinistic, but there's a, you know how guys will go up and be like, oh, you know, I'm no good with like keeping track of things. You keep track of the meeting minutes or you keep track of the budget because I'm not organized, which is kind of like, which is true, but it's also our shitty way of like passing off. Passing off. Right. Yeah. Pass the buck a little. Well, sure. So like. Yeah, so vaguely like that, but still very legitimate. I've told I, I I like to work. I work with a lot of women, and I like working with women for women and stuff. It's just I just think it's a lot better. The projects turn out better. But so my ACs and my my um you know camera operators and stuff are oftentimes women. And so with my ACs and stuff, I say you have got to remind me to eat and drink because I won't. And I, and by the end of the day, I'll get super cranky. And 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 I'm like, and I'm like, I'm not trying to make you into my set mom. I'm not trying, you know. This is like like, and so they'll do that now. Like my my favorite ACs will carry um, uh, granola bars and a package of juice, like my little fucking like help safety packet, to hand to me when I'm getting cranky. It's so funny. Oh, they bring you go bags. That's so yeah. awesome. Uh... Yeah, yeah, it's good. To, it's definitely good to have have that around. I've I have for sure gone no breakfast, no lunch, no dinner, and then I get home and I'm like, I'm like, why do I feel so weak and sick? And Bird's like, did you eat anything today? I'm like, wait, uh, uh. nope, nope, <laughs> just water. I guess I had some wa- coffee. I had a shitload of coffee today. 
Oh, I have a great. And then I suddenly have an ulcer, which I did. I did get an ulcer from basically doing like three pots of coffee a day. And a bunch of cigars. Yeah. And a shitload of cigars. Yeah, that was ill-advised as well. Okay, we have to watch Marlon next. Of of an incredible amount of time and uh, attention to... I'm going to loop it back to folklore for one moment. Thank you. Because we've we've (laughs) mentioned him. And I don't, I don't think, I think we need to give this person more time. Is uh, the score to this movie because there, there is unique score over pretty much the entire length of the film. There are a couple of themes that touch here and there, but within a new piece of music. Yeah, yeah. there, I, I couldn't pick out anything that's sort of just a, a, a rehash of something we've heard before. It is one long piece of music through the entire thing yeah it's like with different with with different themes and feels and it's it's incredible who is this person how did you find them and what was the process for getting the score made you know i wish i could remember how i found mark leonard but um i had found um the the first composer who i won't name because there's no point picking on the poor guy but like i had i had heard him on the radio with some of his original music i was like oh my god this guy's doing like soundscapes which are very cool and very evocative and i'm gonna hire him to do the movie and like we started getting the music in and believe it or not it was actually slowing the movie down which is pretty amazing to do on a movie that's already super slow and so um we're like dude it's not working out and like that was a big learning lesson there having that's probably the first person i ever had to quote unquote fire you know and it was pretty rough but you know, we went our separate ways and we, and I found out about Mark Leonard where it was something, I don't know that I, I don't think I've ever met Mark in real life. Um, I think it was an online thing and just reached out to him. And it was definitely, I think that the whole score cost me like 500 bucks, you know, and, um, which is not, that's like an insult. It it would almost, I would be, it would be a bet if I had done it for free, it would have been a nicer thing to him. I'm like (laughs) almost like an insult for it, but yeah, he did it for, for nothing. And, um, yeah, man, he, it was just great. And like to your point too, like, obviously like all done digitally. So like cameras hadn't quite gotten there yet where you could hold a cinema camera in your hands easily. Like it was a couple more years, but sound like, and, and music, per, you know, that's all a, 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 a loop library and, but it's got yeah. strings, it's got Vo- percussion, it's got horns later. And then, and then he does, he adds new voicing and new, you know, uh, instrumentation throughout it. Like where he's got these really cool, like electric guitar kind of twangs that come out yep. of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And you can hear him also playing with, um, the like the 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 like uh gosh with like because the, the movie's all over the place it's going to different time periods mm-hmm. and different you know flashbacks and mental states and whatever and he's going for it so yeah. well and like i i i i'm this is um me the, me and my buddy andrew who you know co-produced this and did all this with me like we've coined the term that filmmaker we're like locusts like filmmakers come into a location <laughs> we take everything we can for free we use everything we're like if we say thank you, that's a lucky thing. And then we leave and we never mm-hmm. come back again like a locust. And like, I, you know, I, I definitely owe Mark Leonard, Mark P. Leonard. Mark P. Um, Leonard. Like, I, I hope he's been out there just fucking ruling Crushing the world. It. Yeah. Yeah, because like I just watched the movie again, like, you know, two hours before we did this. So I haven't had a chance to look him up again yet. But like, dude, movie would be unwatchable. My 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 first like real note that I made on this was that I wish I could watch it without any of the, like no, none of the dialogue, just the images and the music, it would be a really fun thing to watch, yeah. you know, from a visual storytelling and the music is so good. Like it really, it really is. 
there's actually a famous story about the like the importance of score essentially and it's uh, I, we've told it on the podcast before but I think it's it's germane to this conversation when John Carpenter first showed the studio Halloween in 1977 right before it was about to come out they watched the movie and they were like this is awful everything about this sucks we hate this movie and it hadn't been scored yet at that point and so they were just seeing the footage and hearing the dialogue and they're like we need you to reshoot this we want you to cut this we want you to do cut this and then they went away and he's like well shit i thought the movie was pretty good okay well here's what i'll do i'm not going to do anything they asked me to do but i'm going to get out this little cheapo keyboard and i'm going to like put in like a placeholder score and see what they think to put it to music and he's mm-hmm. like that he just started doing that that interval that famous interval and it's yeah. all over the movie that's pretty much the score and then you know it, he was just fucking around on a casio and he he cuts the score in didn't do any of their producer notes and then showed them the film again and they're like thanks for doing all those notes we asked you to do this is brilliant and that was the difference the difference <laughs> so was music yep. or no music a yeah. score can make or break you man and like you're totally right the the mark leonard score to this is it's it's amazing what i always i always wonder what the star wars a new hope would read like to an audience if it had the typical score that we got in 1977 Not for a flash gordon for yeah for a flash gordon sort of thing like a cheesy sort of stock Space movie Theremins soundtrack. and and yeah yeah and sort of weird shit instead of this grand um, Williams score. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. We we would never know. That's one of those weird questions. Well, we only have the one thing. Well, so actually, but... we do know, Carl. We did an episode. We did Dracula. Dracula. Right. Dracula, Dracula v Dracula. Dracula. If you get the box set of the Universal Monster movies, there's two cuts of Dracula on there. We watched and we watched it in the best possible way because in the special features there's Dracula with a score by Philip Glass. Ooh. And dude, you watch it and you're like, damn, Philip Glass is a fucking incredible composer. This is a all what right. a great movie. Let's go back and see what their first score was like. Right, all right, let's go hear the original score. We'll watch the original. And you watch the original Dracula and you realize very quickly there's no music at all. There's no score. And after hearing, after watching it with Philip Glass backing it, the original Dracula is like almost unwatchably slow and boring. Yeah. Because there's no the music like sucks you in, and obviously Todd Browning's Dracula, brilliant film. I, uh, fun fact, listener, I don't know if you, anybody here knows this, but Todd Browning shot Dracula again in Mexico. He did a Mexican version of Dracula, not starring Bela Lugosi, in color. Oh, wow. And people who I I've I was listening to a podcast Forever Midnight. I'll shout him out. Um, and I've I've heard a couple different places now that the the Todd Browning Mexican version of Dracula is better than the Bella Lugosi version. The only thing that's not as good is the Dracula Bella? character. Yeah, yeah, you need if you could have put Bella in the the Mexican edition of Dracula, it would be better. So no, I no, I meant I meant Bella, as in Twilight. You put her oh, in. Right. <laughs> 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 not enough sparkles. Um. I have some. I have some more in the in the vein of asking you about the clock effect. There's two effects that I'm very curious about. The ground knocking when when they're digging oh, you yeah. up. Oh, how excellent. it's so good, man. What'd you do there? I wanted to bring that up. So, um, so I'm going to tell a bit of a story, but I'll answer that question within it. Sure. So, um, one of the guys, I think it was guy number two who gets shot in the head by. Uh, the father character when he enters the house and he's also one of the druids later now with a mustache and all that ever uh, <laughs> is 
Brian Buzz Smith, my martial arts instructor, who taught me all of that stuff and let us come into his studio and train. And he died last year, um, very suddenly of a stroke. And that was a pretty big thing. It was like a pretty, pretty big moment in my life because he was one of my forming, you know, uh, uh, figures within my life like the martial arts has just been such a huge part of how I lived and so he was on set um just doing all this stuff and he was just always game he's just like a problem solver crazy wild guy he built the wolfman costumes for or the dogman costumes I oh, mean for no Rich Browers stuff shit. yep yep he's done all this stuff and he's just this crazy mad scientist and like super disorganized guy, like kind of one of those things where like a hundred projects, 99 of them unfinished kind of guy, but very caring. And like that, those are his projects. But if he helped you out on something, he was there to go. I had this thing written in there. I said, the ground shakes. I'm like, Oh fuck. How am I going to do this? He's like, Oh, this is no problem. He grabbed the shovel, dug a little hole, slid it over, whacked it down on one side. It shook the ground over there. He's like, just frame that part of it. The whole thing took one minute to do. Um, because, and that was just all buzz. That was just all buzz doing this thing. And it shook, he's like, he's like, yeah, the ground's hollow here in the swamp. It's all, you know, top layer, but it's a swamp. So it's all, he's like, he's like, yeah, I got this. And like, he was right. And he did that all the time. And then, wow. uh, that, the kind of full circle of this story, I admit, I don't know this. It's very important to me. So I'll make you guys suffer through it, no, but no, the, yeah, um, please. but it's, uh, so Aud Audrey, uh, grabs the, the blade, the sword blade from the the thing. And she's like, Oh, my martial arts instructor had these things laying around. That was because like when I was training and stuff, like I went over to Buzz's house once and in the corner, he had this katana just sitting there and it was like, just ugly. Like the, 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 uh, I'm trying to think of the actual American name for it. the, you know, the, the sheath was like split in half and coming apart and the leather was cracked and everything. I was like, but it just, Something about it was just fucking beautiful. And I was like, what's that? And he's like, and it, later this turns out not to be true. But at the time, he's like, oh, that's my two-man sword. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I had it appraised. And they said that when it was when it was tested, it cut through two and a half men, to, the corpses, to, to test the sword. And it's just this ugly blade. But it was an authentic katana. And he's like, he, I was like, well, how did you, where did you get this? He's like, no, this part was true. He's like, I was at a garage sale and at somebody's house and at a barn. And he's like, um, he's like, I looked over to the side and there's this katana leaning against the barn, not for sale. He's like, well, what, how much is that? And they're like, oh, that's not for sale. We just use that for cutting down weeds. And there's like, what? And he's like, and they're like, yeah, you know, he's like, I'll give you 25 bucks for it. They're like, okay, sure. Um, so he passed. So he got it. He passed away. I bought it from his widow. Um, and so now uh, this is just last year. And I've, I've, I wrote it in the movie based on that sword. I have thought about that sword my whole life. I've trained with, with, you know, Katana and stuff and all this stuff and um, got it in my life. And I gave her, I, I doesn't matter what I, I gave her a lot of money for it because I was like just trying to help mm -hmm. her out with it. But the sword is valued at $900. It's a world war two uh, um, private citizens sword made back in then, you know, and whatever wow. illegal to be in America because you know, you're not supposed to send real Shint real swords Shinto to other countries right. and whatever. But um, I, I was watching this movie and I'm seeing all these people who passed away. I'm seeing my martial arts instructor who helped me choreograph all this and let, you know, inspired such a big part of this. I see this sword that kind of made this full circle, this, you know, maybe it's a metaphor for folklore, right? It's like this janky ass broken thing in the corner that can still bring a little bit of joy to other people. <laughs> but, uh, Absolutely. 
but uh, you know, it's just really funny. Like, like looking back, because that's what happens when you hire all Tomlinsons, as you know, all of them, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it comes back full circle. But it was, you know, my grandpa and my grandma, who are both passed away, they're in the crowd. I I don't know about the gentleman who played the Druid leader. Um, oh my God, I feel bad. His name escapes me. I was thinking it's just because I'm trying to think of it. But he um like he didn't know his lines for shit, and like when he showed up, and we I had to feed him to him one paragraph at a time over it took us hours to shoot that scene and then when it came out and he saw it it was edited together well because i just did reaction shots and stuff and he's like he's like oh man all my old retirement lady friends are telling me how great of an actor i am i'm like you motherfucker you didn't know your life <laughs> but uh but like oh you but, mean the, gen- the general yeah guy, the, yeah yeah the super old guy and like yeah. uh he um but what a nice sweet guy and really you know awesome and anyway but, yeah no yeah i had a so i love that i love the katana story the that sort of like found that found object thing that influences the film is amazing. Yeah. You know, I should have brought it in. It's it's out. It's upstairs. I should have brought it down just for fun. But I love how this store uh, story of the sword in the, the hero's journey, uh, the father's sword is like a big part of the, the tropes of that journey. And it kind of, in a more literal way really is the father's sword in this case and that's so incredibly cool yeah, yeah. it is it's it's metaphorically metaphorically appropriate definitely um i have some more questions about your your special your effects and things if that's cool i for, i think that, yeah. that that river sacrifice is so rowdy <laughs> dude it <laughs> it looks awesome like because you get the you get like he marty he, uh, yeah, no, Marty. What was his Marky Marty? What was his name? Oh yeah, Tom uh, Mar- Marty Martin. Marty. Or like that. Yeah. Uh, By the way, I just sent you guys in in Skype. I just sent you a link to the Japanese uh, uh, historical Japanese sword uh, site where I sent pictures of the sword to get it translated to find out about it. It's mm. just funny full circle stuff, but you can see like the sword and like the shape it was in and when I inherited it, and it's just kind of a it's. It's just a sword, but like it was integral to the kind of inspiration for the movie and stuff like that. It's just kind of funny how oh that all works. Oh my out. god! Have you, oh, yeah. have you had I'm... it like uh, re- restored, cleaned up things? Like, I noticed it. Yeah, didn't... that's it, oh, that's ahead. a whole no. That's a whole thing. It's like it's like um, it's not monetarily worth because it's about like a hundred dollars an inch to have a sword restored or, or restored and it's 27 inch blade plus 10 inch handle right. and uh and so or tang but um so like it's kind of a big question mark on it where like so i have it right now it's been all oiled up and polished and stuff and it's you know trying to keep it from getting any worse but it's kind of like uh kind of like a vintage barn fine car at the moment where it's kind of got a patina to it sure. but i don't want to let it rust away so i'm still trying to figure out what it'll do what to do with it like the we literally cleaned this house out during the pandemic you know so oh, i wow. haven't had a chance to like um figure it out yet but uh yeah so it just kind of you know real race skin handle held together by a shitty piece of dowel that my martial arts instructor probably cut off of some whatever project (laughs) i I notice it doesn't have a uh i don't know what the the part is called but the like the finger guard portion uh above where your hands grip like there's a there's a there's a hand guard that goes above the hand grips and then at the bottom is the the pommel i think it's called yep but it doesn't yep. it doesn't have that finger guard section and that really makes it look kind of like brutalist in a way mm-hmm. yeah you yeah. know it's in, well it's interesting yeah so in the um the first picture yeah it's when it's pulled apart but yeah it's just um i don't know man just some interesting thing and i i 
yeah, that doesn't matter. But it's just it's just one of those kind of like I, I guess it's it's kind of a um an analogy for myself in general where I don't really care about like some like what sword did Musashi have or like the most expensive katana mm-hmm. of all time. I want to know about the the barn find thing that some World War II survivor handed down to his nephew and the and they're ger- using you know, it like, to cut down weeds. Like that yeah, is so interesting. Just so bad. Like like and what an interesting story. Like you know maybe and like that's where I think the most interesting movies come from too are those like small real stories instead of like you know what's the cool, the most expensive car ever. I'm like no right. man, tell me about your dad's car when you were young and he wrapped it around a tree and restored it or yeah. something. That is very Sam Raimi, like the classic appears in all of his films and it's this yeah. shitty old 77 whatever it is. It looks <laughs> yeah. like an Impala, but yeah, but like yeah. you know Bruce Campbell nobody the people don't talk about they talk about James Bond's cars because dude, right. they're Aston Martins. You got to yeah. give it to Aston Martin, but yeah. How many people are like drooling over a set of a, a like pale pastel yellow 1977 right. like soft top because or hard top because of Sam Raimi's flicks and his love of this quirky weird car that has history going all the way back yeah. to Evil Dead. Um, I love my favorite appearance of the katana in the movie is I the 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 young the youngest kid I think it's other than uh the daughter the, I think it's your youngest actor it's the curly haired kid as he's I'm gonna give him air quotes dying because he gets a good oh, yeah, yeah, he gets yeah. a good ten minute a, death like, speech he gets up. a bit chatty while he's dying um, I was watching that too I was like how long does this go on for <laughs> he starts giving him the recipe for chicken in a bucket that his grandma passed Dude, on to him I, I I have a, like a whole theory about what happens after we cut away from that because I love I love that you know our our investigators like I will end your suffering. He's like no no man don't kill me I think I'm actually gonna be I mean I uh I mean I'm o- I'm okay with suffering because I uh does des- uh, deserve, deserve a slow I, yeah. slow death but in his head he's like. I'm actually not hurt that bad. I think I'm going to make it. I think I think you just winged me a <laughs> little bit. I'm pulling through. He's like, you know, he's like, are you sure you're dying? He's like, oh, oh yeah, for sure, man. But let me suffer because this I love is, that interpretation. I have to reap what I've sown and then our characters <laughs> leave. Fire's, fire's going out, man. Fire's going out. <laughs> oh, it's getting dim. Leave me to my solitary demise. And Mother, you know, everyone, is that you? Everyone. <laughs> it's getting faint and everyone's got enough honor to leave him to his solitary death. And he gets up and he's like, holy shit, I think I'm good. Lucky day, lucky day. I I love mauled by a bear. Um, and I love. By the way, one of my favorite parts of this is at the beginning. There's like four druids, and then there's a scene about it's around the river sacrifice. It's when we get that cool river sacrifice. It's the first time that you show up not smeared in like all sorts of mud and shit and body paint, and you show up and like with your long hair, you're like your L.A. hair and your tattoo. Not looking at all like the rest of the druids. And in my head, I'm like, so Jeff was out hiking. He saw a bunch of LARPers kill a guy and was like, <laughs> I can get on board with this. And he rolls up to the you know head druid and, and you, literally the guy's like, oh, hey, guy, we've never seen before in the film. Uh, stick close to me. Uh, because and I'm, So I'm like, oh, so not only is, is he like a new character, but he's immediately the most trusted druid that we've yeah. yet seen. Yeah, which which is clearly like like we showed up that day. I'm like I'm I've I've killed all my friends four times. I need somebody new in this scene. I'm the least recognizable because I'm not wearing body paint. I guess I will. <laughs> yeah, I totally loved it. Um, right before that, at this, I'm kind of burning some notes real quick so I could flip yeah. the page. But how? What the fuck, man? How did you do those crumbling bones? That was so cool. So cool. So yeah, so that was a deer. Oh my god, 
if one story encapsulates independent filmmaking, it's this one. So me and we're driving out to Cedar Run Road, where me and Andrew are, where my where Buzz lived, my martial arts instructor. Mm -hmm. And on the way back, we see a fucking deer carcass on the side of the road that is half decayed. So we hop out, we look, and we're like, oh, my God, that thing smells. Let's put it in the back of your truck and we'll use it as a prop on folklore. <laughs> so we bring this thing back. His truck smelled for the rest of the shoot. We never got the smell out. Um, and to disinfect the bones, we burnt the carcass in my bonfire. And so we had these amazing bones that were now clean and whatever. And they just crumbled in your hands after having been through the fire. So like he just, those are just deer spine, uh, sir, uh, not cervixes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was the nope. one scene that you did actually cut from folklore is the bit with the right, deer the, cervix. The deer cervix. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's the, you know, the sections of the spines. Yeah, and it, they just crumbled in the hands and we're like, ah, oh, that's cool. Let's use it. Was, um, it's Piotr, was man. cervical vertebrae what you were going for? Vertebrae? I, yeah, whatever this thing. Yeah. Yeah, vertebrae. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yes. Must, I don't know why I needed to go to the cervix and just <laughs> went in doubt. In, in the well, the only things on the for the, the only yeah. two things on the editing room floor are your balls and a deer cervix. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I tell you, man, it is funny because like there was like I was like, oh yeah, I'll have a deleted scenes thing. There's no deleted scenes. I put every you put everything thing in. in there. You know what I mean? Yeah, hey, yeah. Hey man, like when like when it's all obviously gold. shouldn't have. <laughs> um, I there is one part of this movie that I thought was. I mean, there's like I said, man. I I like this all the way through, but there's one bit in here that I think is just fucking genius, right in the writing, and it's a tracheotomy is such a brilliant way to sneak in a guy slitting his own daughter's throat because if that's yep, part of the ritual, yeah. dude, that's fucking genius. Um, oh, that that is that is stolen, <laughs> straight up stolen. <laughs> So that is a um and because like uh one of my favorite very very favorite Batman comic book stories of all time, mm. uh it's it's something like some sort of ritual or whatever and the Riddler is doing it and he shoves a ping pong ball in a baby's throat and uh, Batman performs a backstreet tracheotomy to get him to slit the, it's very fucking dark and like that's the only thing. And and if you had asked me, but without preface, what's the one thing you stole in that movie? This that would have I would have like said it right away because it was like the one thing I stole was like that. And it's like some obscure, you know. And I've never like hidden that fact, but like sure, it's sure. Uh, just you know. But like it's some obscure, you know, like very eldritchy kind of um H.P. Lovecraft mm -hmm. Batman story, and just dark. And uh, and I was like, oh my god, because like I was watching it this time, I was like. How does he know to slit her? Like I'm like watching my movie saying, and he just goes in there and does it. And I was yeah. like, how he didn't know he was she was choking. He didn't like like you know he kind of felt around. Like I was like, wow, that's some movie magic there. But well, uh, bird yeah. bird thought that the little pile of uh, it's like stones, stones or something. Yeah. She thought that they were bezoars because bezoars are, oh, are like yeah. really they're really really magically loaded and this it, everything else was so on point and they look kind of scuffed and dirty. So I was like, oh my god, Jeff wrote this shit where a little girl's choking on a bezoar and they have to use like a chunk of bone. To, that would have been much smarter. I think that they were. I think that we didn't have time to carve something. So those are chunks of potato that we rolled in dirt. Did amazing. <laughs> Brilliant. This is the goal. But, uh, yeah, man. Beautiful. Like, like there are things like like the um, 
so many of the rituals are real. Like the the river sacrifice, that's how they did it back in not, not Neo. Man, I got in an argument with a Neo Druid during one of my screenings. She's like, we don't sacrifice people. I'm like, dude, the people who you used to be, they did, man. And he's like, well, how do you know? And I'm like, I read their fucking books, you know, and right. but um, but like so much of it's real. And then, yeah, you get stuff like that where it's just like. You know, we've been making this movie for it's just a potato. It's just a chunk of potato. <laughs> like, you know, that's with the scalpel that he made on the mo that Ben made yeah, on that copper moment. Wire that copper yeah. wire scalpel. It looks awesome. It, it does it look looks badass, I had, that, man. I had that forever and I don't know. I you know, it eventually just disappeared, but there is so much of that. And like like um you know, uh even more so on um uh Swiss Army Man, but you know, locations props set design man holy god can that make your movie so much better you know if yeah, you can sport. if you can get some yeah. There. yeah yeah um there was so i i love that you told that the batman comic story where you're like oh it's this ep it's the, it's this issue i read i fucking love it i stole this thing we again another thing that we talked about on the show before we brought it up in season one when we covered some of jim jarmusch's films oh yeah jim jarmusch has this beautiful quote where he says, um, it's basically the the all artists steal because everything that you can think of has been done before. But he said, he, he said the way that I look at art and ideas is all all art is waves on an ocean, you know. And he's like, it's what you don't what you realize after you watch for a while is all waves are the same wave. There, it's just that it's just a high or low point at a certain spot. No wave is distinct from any other wave. It's all just water. And he's very open about. I'm Quentin Tarantino does this too, but Jim Jarmusch very directly. He's open about. He's like, I totally steal from my favorite films all the time. And we watched one. Uh, it's a. Uh, Oh fuck! What's his a Jean-Pierre Melville film called *Le Samurai*? And if you've seen uh, *Le Samurai* and you've seen *Ghost Dog*, there's a scene yeah. in *Ghost Dog* where a dude gets killed up through a sink drain, and in *Le Samurai*, oh. there's this guy that he's supposed to kill who he cannot get access to, so he uses a pipe wrench. <laughs> To open, uh, he opens a pipe in a bathroom, like the bathroom pipe that leads down to the sink, and he sticks his gun up this pipe and waits for the dude. He looks up the pipe and waits for the dude to lean forward to check his face in the mirror, and he shoots him in the head up through the pipe. And, you know, 20 or 30 years later, Jim Jarmusch directly lifts a scene from this 1957 or 60, early 60s mm -hmm. French yeah. New Wave film. And he's and he and when they interview him about it, he's like, "Oh yeah, no, that I love that you guys love that scene." But oh you no, should... I yeah, I'm glad you guys. Like oh yeah, that the Jim Jarmusch scene. voice yeah. is like, "Well, actually, <laughs> when, when we were when we were shooting that, I decided I wanted to grab from. I don't know if you guys are familiar with John Peter Melville. He's just brilliant. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, but that's one of the things that I love is when creators creatives are open about their influences because that's how you find new cool shit that you like half the writers i read right now are people that either neil gaiman or stephen king have said nice yeah. things about in their books and then you go find them and you're like fuck they're genius you know yeah. uh, no it, it it's funny you mentioned that that quote i i must have heard that before but like so i played music mu uh, music saxophone my whole life and like was in jazz bands and stuff and the thing i would always say i started saying this in college in film school because everybody's goal was like i'm gonna make the most original script ever and i was like dude and they would never finish anything i was like dude it's impossible and i and i think it was like charlie parker or some jazz musician said this once but um he's like 
every single combination of notes ever made has already been played. It's just been done. It's it's impossible for you to put A, B, C, D, E, F, G in a different order that hasn't been done before. So take the best licks, put them together yourself and make it your own. That's jazz. Right. And like, right. that's what I always tell people. I'm like, that's jazz. And they're like, what? And I like give them that big ramble. But it's like, <laughs> it's true. Because, like, I mean, how many fucking ways? I'm sure there are things that come out and we're like, wow, I've never seen anything like this before, right. you know? But but still, yeah, it's impossible. And so, like, especially when you're learning, like, would you rather, like, do a crappy kind of, like, low-angle shot or would you rather steal John Ford's cinematography and make right. it your own? Like, right. why? You know, and that was kind of one of the problems I had with Tarantino and Rodriguez's um, Grindhouse movies. I was like, so you're perfectly, ma- purposely making bad yeah, movies. Bad movie. Yeah, yeah right. I was like, what was that about? But that's neither here. Now, now MPEG 2, and I missed something <laughs> right. bad about Tarantino. Uh, we, I was just listening to some commentary about, the, about Grindhouse recently, about how those two directors hate those films they they do have tried to distance themselves from the grindhouse project because they're like oh i mean look they're two shitty movies we made two shitty movies on purpose but fans i fucking love death i fucking i love death proof is so unbelievably good look i love planet terror it's an awesome it's a splattery robert rodriguez thing um in both films like when the when the footage goes all melty they pull out the reel right before Act Three, which is brilliant yeah, yeah. because you yeah. you lose the turn, so you're you're yeah. like in the meat, but then you lose that surprise turn, and you're suddenly like without context in the third act. But I I think that Death Proof is particularly brilliant because if you watch if you watch it enough times, you start to pick up on what's happening, and it's it's a, such a meta old Hollywood homage because the movie starts as a horror film. Where stunt guy Mike is like sinister and mean and I don't drink. He doesn't drink. He gets club soda and he's like, honey, you really got to be in my... And it's totally a horror movie. It's shot horror. It's scored horror. The performances all lean horror. And then as the movie progresses, we get the introduction of these three new... These three girls, these three new characters. And then then there's like a weird buddy comedy that happens in the middle. And by the time Stuntman Mike comes back, he's this swaggering drunk guy. And he's pounding (laughs) liquor. And rather than being tough, when he gets shot in the shoulder, he's like crying. (laughs) Such a great choice. And it's, it's Tarantino's homage to back in the day on these super low budget pictures. Halfway through the project, they'd be writing the scripts as they're shooting them. New, he, it's in his concept, in his mind, we have a new creative team, a new screenwriter. We're going to go in a new direction. This is a little too dark. So the movie jumps tracks midway through like those old shitty drive-in 70s flicks does. And he recreated that in the 2000s. And that's, I think that's part of why we like it is it, it harkens back to that. And it's really well thought out. And it's big bang and uh, car chase. <laughs> no, so that's I, what we think about your comment on that. Sir. Yeah, yeah silence. That. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I I will say like up until so it was uh, Django and um hatefully I think are really really good. I enjoy those a lot. Yeah. But uh but, but uh, up until then. I was not so I was not a huge Tarantino fan of his direction. I love True Romance is one of my favorite movies that he just wrote that and somebody else directed that. That's amazing. Tony Scott but, directed that. Yes, yeah. yes. Oh my God, Tony Scott. I, I felt 
like the only person in the world who was like heartbroken. Like he's my favorite Scott of the two because he's so good. Oh, and, like, me up, man. I know. I'm, I mean, yeah, we should have gotten together and just cried. But the uh, <laughs> but Death Proof on it up until that point, I was like, finally, a movie where those super long, pointless rambles are actually about relevant to the story. This isn't like La Royale with cheese, where you're like, what the fuck? Like, like at least like like the the Death Proof conversations are these women in the restaurant, and I haven't seen it in a while, but they're talking. And it's like, I believe it's still symbolic of like, you know, being put on by men and being having to take all this shit and like, you know, always being made to play the victim. And they're like, we're sick, sick. You know, they're trying to like find themselves and find their own voice. Right. And they turn around and fuck this like ultimate, you know, toxic male. They fuck him up. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah, so I do like that. I, I, do, I love that you that you point that out. And so I guess right now we're, we're we've jumped over and now this is I'm measuring. Trying we're talking about 2003's Grindhouse, ladies and gentlemen, co-directed by. But but no, like I, I love that you brought that up because it is one of the one of the things they talk about in the diner is that one of the women carries a gun mm-hmm. and the the Zoe Bell characters not shocked because Zoe Bell and I can't remember the other two actresses. I just remember Zoe Bell because I dearly right, love right. her and yeah. Bert, I'm sorry, but if she was around uh, we would invite her into our marriage probably. Oh my god, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> no, but um so Zoe Bell's like she they're both she and uh it's is it it's not Jungle Julia because she dies in the first yeah, car crash. No. Rosario Dawson. Yes, oh it is god. Rosario yes. Dawson. Yeah, is Rose McGowan one? No, she's not. One she of those dies movies. in that yeah, first car crash. In- she's the one yeah. whose face gets chowdered by the rear wheel. Right. Fucking yeah. brilliant oh, practical yes. effect. So good. Um, but no, like I love that we have like three different types of women at this four. table. Four different. Uh, aren't there? There's, there's three. Four. Who, because uh, there's the youngest. Uh, she's playing a cheerleader. She's an actress. Yeah. And they leave her behind. And uh-huh. Susie, Mc- Susie McLean is one of them. Yes. Susie, it's Susie McLean, Zoe Bell, Rosario Dawson, and is the youngest one the one they leave behind because they told yeah, that, that hillbilly Susie, that Susie she... McLean is the is the is the one they leave behind. Right, she's right. in the I'm calling her Susie McLean. She plays the young yes. the older Susie McLean in right, Live right. for your Die Hard. I can't remember what her name is. So the, the movie... She was also the the woman at the end of Swiss Army Man. Right. Oh, right. Mary Mary Elizabeth oh. Winstead. Yes. Yep, there you go. So the movie starts with this like brutal, toxic, toxic male murdering women which is like that's the thing is women or men are afraid women are going to laugh at them women are afraid men are going to kill them is that it's a famous phrase that my friend alice introduced me to and like broke my brain it hurt me to hear but um so it starts with women being victimized which is a horror movie trope and then we flip and it becomes a basically a revenge fantasy stunt picture where you have strong empowered women taking back agency and fi- and not only taking back agency, but fighting this toxic masculine character of the stuntman Mike on his own terms with his own tools in a basically a stunt driving car chase off that culminates <laughs> with like literally like a circle of women kicking a dude to death. You yeah. know, like talk about like by the end, your heart is like up in your chest and you're like, fuck, yeah, fuck him up, fuck him up. Yeah, and, I hate men. <laughs> yeah, like, but yeah, seriously. By then, it's like, well, Bird, I'm off to go step into traffic because <laughs> yeah. we're the worst. <laughs> uh, clearly, I have nothing left to say about about folklore other than no, that's good. <laughs> that's good says I have I have, I have an image things. that keeps popping into my head for like if you were to ever do a remaster, re-edit, reshoot, do a 
reboot six part miniseries <laughs> for a poster art for this. For some reason, the image of him, because uh, we both Dan- Danielle and I lost it when when his daughter gives him the teddy bear before he goes oh, into the portal God. from hell. Yeah, is to have that like Drew Struzan esque poster that sort of art style with the back of the man holding onto a teddy bear with the portal of hell open in front of him and that's your poster for the 100 percent for the film i like yeah. it that yeah would be, that would be amazing do you yeah oh. yeah there's definitely like and, and i i literally like we gotta go anyway we've talked about this too long i got <laughs> yeah. all the things i want for sure but for you sure. can de- you can definitely see like an early 20s guy yeah. wondering what the rest of his life is going to be like. There's so many of me like going like, like what kind of a religious leader would use your religion against you? Mm-hmm. And like, you know, as he says in that thing, or like, you know, I'm sorry I wasn't a better dad or all these other things that just, you know what I mean? Like you, you can really see like me at that age trying to be like, what is this world mm-hmm. about, you know, and try, you know, like it's so clear, like it's stuff that I wasn't consciously thinking about at all. Cause I felt like I knew everything at that time as we right. always do. Always but, do. Uh, Yep. Yeah, but like, yeah, just being so vulnerable, and my poor niece, who's like three years old or whatever, when she's oh God, playing so that, like, cute. Oh, so cute. She's so, <laughs> and like, like, oh my God. So like, the cops got called um to the to my in laws' house where she's living because like they were like, yeah, Lily's at preschool, and she said her uncle is making a movie where he's tying her down in the basement. Oh no! And oh, they're no. like, what? And she's like, oh shit! You know, like. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, that sounds pretty bad. That sounds pretty bad. It does. I mean, it does. And then when you watch it in the movie, it's fairly harrowing too. Because yeah, like, yeah, it does. It works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Bert- she was like, she she was like, she has no like bad memories about that. The only thing that she that was uncomfortable for. Her, so when she when Jordan was covered in blood, she right. thought that was jelly, and she thought it was funny. So uh-huh. we told her it was jelly. And then the, but the chain that was on her was heavy, and it was yeah. uncomfortable. And right. so she so it was on. You see it on her for like four seconds because she was uncomfortable otherwise she was never in the room for anything else like she like jordan was always acting to nothing um or to like a stand-in just because you know why traumatize her yeah (laughs) Yeah, i noticed some creative shooting i thought that was really well handled because you establish that she's there and then she's there and we don't have to see her anymore because we know i liked that a lot and the back towards the whatever it was you pointed it out i don't remember oh yeah when uh when audrey murders yeah uh, you the knife through the back of the yeah Yeah, jordan jordan picks her up and like she she can't see that that's happening which i thought was cool because even though it's in a fake context you know you still don't want it that stanley kubrick famously told the actor playing danny that they were shooting like a family comedy and framed everything that way, and that actor yep. didn't know he w- it was contractual that he didn't know that The Shining was a horror film until his 18th birthday. I thought it was pretty wow. cool, like keep him yeah, from being yeah. scarred and fucked up as a child. Um, yeah, Bird a Bird has a couple of notes, and then we'll I let you go because I'm sorry oh, we good. kept you for infinity. Um, I really was noticing the grade during this. I did the grade for Marlin, so that okay. that's something that I really noticed. Um, I love your day is night. It's just so charming in like a classic Star Trek sort of way. Like it yeah, just, yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's like, it, yeah, because it was like the generator's already running the camera. I don't, LED lights don't exist yet. I can't yeah. afford any, yeah. And it's like, day, I can do day for night because it worked in the mummy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that blue filter night never looks quite as good as you think it's going to. Oh my God, never. No, no, I, I truly enjoyed it. I liked it, it too, yeah. Um, just, yep. I was a little disappointed that 
I didn't remember this. Um, but the woman who's killed at the beginning is the cousin of mm-hmm. Morgan. Yeah. Uh, did you did you originally write it that way, or was it her partner, and then you changed it later oh, on? Because yeah, I was no, thinking. It, that's a really great idea. So my wokeness came in a reverse way on this. So like the movie was written with that character being like a, a Morgan's character being a guy. It was just written that way because I was a guy and I knew guys and he was supposed to be kind of like a surfer dude, like this very unassuming, like, Hey man, I just make pottery and stuff and ends up being this badass. And then when we went through auditions and we're basically talking to the friends who are willing to do it, mm-hmm. Audrey came through and we're like, she would be amazing at this. And so, and, and we literally changed nothing in the script. I just made sure that we didn't play her as dumb surfer guy because yeah. I didn't want her to be like bimbo because that then that felt too tropey but sure. literally changed nothing in the script not even the name the name was Morgan to begin sure. with too so that was why it was the cousin because it was because it felt weird to be a romance when it was you know like a guy loses the girl whatever and right. so it, we literally didn't change anything we just changed her you know her to he to her and that was it so that's yeah, that's a really great that now I absolutely like would have been that or I with my background, I probably might have done something like that was my foster sister or mm-hmm. something kind of like a mixed sure. family kind of thing, because I like that. But um, sure, sure. Yeah, good question. I was just like trying to remember as we were watching and I was like, oh, it must have totally been her girlfriend or something. Right. And then right. It's like, yeah. I was like, wait, what? Par- cousin? Yeah, I was wondering that too. Actually, watching it, I was like, "Well, how did she know her?" Like, honestly, couldn't remember myself, which is a shame because, like, that means you're like, "Oh, that's a forgettable moment that could have been dialed up a little bit." And yeah, definitely would have been stronger. Um, was Peter speaking real Russian or something, or was that just Polish? Your... Yep, he's Polish. He's, okay. he's from Poland. He uh, was finishing his master's degree in psychology. He's over there now, like like ruling the world and and just a real fucking smart guy. And I was like, dude, I, I didn't even write the lines. I said, just make up shit in Polish, not, you know, like, like improvise in Polish because it sounded so fucking good. Right. Yeah. And like, nobody speaks Polish. Nobody knows what he was saying. And so yeah. like when um, he, when the lines he's saying, he's, that's what he's really saying. And it's translated accurately. And he had to teach the other actors to say Polish back to him, like the that's vampire incredible. and stuff like that. And you can hear Ben like, I can't, I don't even remember. Like, like those. <laughs> Pedanya, the, the Polish, <laughs> like, whatever. Pecherovka, Stolichnaya. Yes. Yes. <laughs> exactly, trying his best. But um, but I thought it was really effective during the spells because he's just he's just improvising and he mm-hmm. was saying something like you know, you know, may these bones bring the darkness to the world that I want there to be. But mm-hmm. he's just riffing. Right. But it right. sounds so good because yeah. And he had that so. kind of like deep, deeper yeah. voice. Right. Yeah. Mm, good. Uh, and was it supposed to be Grigori? Like, yeah, Rasputin? like Grigori Rasputin? Y- yep. Okay. Yep. It was supposed okay. to be Grigori Rasputin. <laughs> yep. Good job. Yep. Yeah, most of the names are like friends. Like, um, Edmund Gregory is a reverse of Gregory Edmund, who's my college roommate. But then I wanted it to be Grigori because of Rasputin and everything. And like, um, I think, and that's definitely like a pro, you know, a nod to the Hellboy. I probably a little bit there too with right. his look oh, and yeah. everything. Uh, but uh, was it Wake yeah. the Devil? Or, no, Seed of Destruction is the one with yes. Rasputin. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I dude, I love Hellboy comics. I'm right there with you, man. Um, yeah. I've got nothing else. Bird's got Carl. Are you good? 
Jeff, I'm out clean, baby. You have been so Thank fucking you. generous with your time. This is going to be an almost three-hour episode. Thank you so fucking yeah. much for sitting through this with us and for letting us watch and talk about folklore. I know this was a, no, was a thing, I, but... No, I, I've got to say thanks to you guys, man, because if it wasn't for you guys, I probably wouldn't have watched this movie for another 14 years. And, like, and like it was really... I was cathartic, you know, it was really yeah. good for me to bring it up. It's humbling. It also reminds me of like the passion that, you know, I started this with. And I think that that's worth remembering. And I am, you know, like Jeff Morgan right now is not like, oh, I want to show this to everybody, but I'm proud of the Jeff Morgan that made this. You Absolutely. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like oh, yeah. that guy, that, that guy 16 years ago or however many who made this. So I really couldn't have been more grateful and I love what you guys are doing and I'm just so happy that I like, got my safe space here. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about this and and uh I just can't wait for Marlin and uh Wayward and Seamus uh episode <laughs> because you have to, you I'll, have I'll, to have I'll have to on. I'll have to find a copy of that. Uh, there may only be one in in existence in the world. So we'll see what we can do. Well, uh, speaking of copies, we had some you had an announcement Max about yes. copies. Yeah. Yes, I do. All right, listeners. Um so if this movie sounds like it's up your alley or you're bummed that you don't get to see it, that is no longer the case. Um, Jeff has very graciously donated some copies to uh, to Carl and I to give out. So all of our current patrons will be receiving a copy of Folklore, and we will have 13 additional copies. We figured 13 was a good number given all of the occult witchcraft mm-hmm. and such like that goes on in Folklore. So the next... 13 people who join our Patreon. Uh, if you head on over to patreon.com slash quillandfilm Q-U-I-L-L-A-N-D-F-I-L-M you can get a, a one of a very select limited number of copies of folklore that Jeff has allowed to be wrested from his hands. Um, will so, they be signed? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, I'll, will you? I'll, I'll, I'll sign it. I'll put, I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Individualized apologies in the inner cover. It's Amazing. Got, it's Perfect. got it's got an hour long documentary. Apparently, three full length commentaries. It's ridiculous. <laughs> that the best, DVD is packed. It is the, the DVD menus though. I'm proud of because the DVD menus are video and they're like cool. Yeah, that, I don't know if you guys nice, when you yeah. that opening that opening menu with the teddy bear and the katana and that mm, fucking building yep. in the background with the grass waving. It it took yep. me dude, it's like I mean, I know we're talking about folklore, but I was like, dude, that's like a Kurosawa shot. Is your fucking <laughs> yeah. menu screen. And we don't do that anymore cuz now the movie like the you know, we bypassed the the DVD menu days mm-hmm. are kind of old yeah. now, you know. Right. So if you want to get retro, you want to get a little throwback <laughs> and get some physical media in your life, you can head on over to Patreon and the next 13 people who join the Measuring Flicks Patreon family are getting a copy of uh, of Folklore. We will ship it to you. Uh, obviously, to, I know this will date the episode, but we are in 2020. It is COVID times. The shipping shit is a nightmare right now, so it might take a little while for us to get the copies to you, but we they are coming. If uh, So all of our current patrons have them coming, and if you want to be one of the lucky few, then head on over to patreon.com slash quillinfilm and get yourself signed up a two-day. You also can get things like full-length bonus episodes. If you like this one, we do the same thing over there on Patreon. Um, full-length, they're not 30-minute ones. We, di- we dig in and dive deep, and you can also get shout-outs on the show. That sound a little something like this. We would love to thank the people who make this show possible. We are a listener-supported podcast, and the people who are currently supporting us and keeping us on mic are Leslie Ty, Cynthia Van Manen, 
Cassandra down in Florida. Miss you, Cassandra. You've got that box coming. I swear to God. Bert and I are putting it together right now. Uh, Jeff Morgan's over there. So if you want to hit him up, if you want hey, to get in contact. Yeah, man. Get, if you want to get in contact. Do I have to send myself a copy? <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you, you're good. You probably you probably should be like uh, dear Jeff in 2006 signed <laughs> Jeff from 2020 and write yourself what a little something. What is this shit? <laughs> <laughs> Don't uh, open until 2042 or whenever the next 16 years. Yeah, yeah 14 <laughs> years from now, be like revisit it. Um we would also like to thank Kevin Ramirez, sister Sarah Hartley, William Rockwood, Brian Jackson, David Rowney, Kelly and Mike Wagner, and Daniele Hartelli, the inimitable Connor Sweeney and uh, executive producer and glitter aficionado, Casey Scheibe. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. And you, listener, thank you so much for listening. It's you that we do this for, um, all you film fans out there. If you want to drop us a line, um, if you want us to pass questions on to to filmmaker Jeff Morgan, uh, you can drop us a line at measuringflixpodcast at gmail.com. We've kept you all long enough. We've kept Jeff awake well beyond what he should be awake. He's looking sleepy. We're all feeling <laughs> slap happy. Um, we're so we're gonna past get our bedtime. Definitely. Like so we're gonna get out of here. Thirty these days. I know, right? As soon as it gets dark, dude. Five thirty. I'm in bed. Um, <laughs> four o'clock. It feels pretty late for two o'clock. I don't yeah. know what that means. I'm not even sure what you just yeah. said, honestly. I, I actually know. understood that because I'm so tired. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> all right. Um, we love you all. We'll talk to you next time. I actually have no idea what's coming next, so it'll be a surprise for all of us. Jeff. Oh, it, it's Wayward and Seamus oh, slash Marlin yeah. double feature. <laughs> it might be Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, because Carl oh, and I watched that like yes. 100 years ago, and we should really talk about it soon. But after that, there may be more, uh, there may be more good badness. In your future. Oh, damn it. Um, so thank you all so much for listening. Jeff, thank you again so much. Stay tuned, listener. We'll be back at you hot with some more hot takes. MPEG 2 forever. MPEG 2 forever, baby. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>